The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. And welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Rydacat, and you can find me at Rydacat on Twitter. You can find me at News News Need on Twitter, and you can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. With Columbia down the way. And the sound effects that you have just heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn, one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Okay, that's a new one. <laughs> it is a new one. You have to love it. You just have to. Um, but yes, it's literally a quarter of my soundboard is all the Brooklyn stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, and I just realized, um, speaking of a quarter of, I, the word thirds are not showing up. That's kind of ridiculous. Hey. <laughs> anyway, worry about that later. Folks, this is the Comic Book Chronicles. We have come to you this week, as we do every week, with to bring you comic book greatness, goodness, Something goodness. Anyway, um, before we get out the gate, just go ahead and remind folks that, yes, it is, um, it is, um, Suicide Squad week. In fact, it dropped, um, tonight, uh, as of this recording, uh, earlier on, uh, well, technically it's not early because, I mean, movies you would normally drop on Thursdays anyway. But it happened to drop on in movie theaters and HBO Max um, on today, as opposed to Friday or tomorrow or Friday like normal. Um, right. This would normally be preview night. So mm-hmm. if we were doing movie protocol, technically we would be in the theaters right now if, if this was something that we would be chomping at the bit to go see. Exactly. So uh, fortunately, we will be able to watch this. Probably not tonight, since we'll be recording into the uh, late evening, but definitely over the weekend starting tomorrow, uh, as of this recording, that would be Friday the 6th. So uh, we will have some word on Suicide Squad next week, or The Suicide Squad, right? That is correct. It is The the Suicide Suicide Squad. Squad, We'll have some word on that uh, for you next week. The Fast and Furious. Um... Oh, wait, and doesn't What Ifs start next week also? Correct. So, yeah, we might be bringing, and that's going to be on Wednesday, so we will probably have a little bit on both of those next week. Yes, yes, we'll do our best to keep it brief. 
Yes, that is that is for sure. Um, that being it may said, not work, but we'll do our best. You know, we try, folks. We really try. <laughs> um, but that being said, uh, we are going to get into this week's shenanigans with this week's books, and this week's books we're going to start off with as I start to pull up um, uh, covers. Uh, Silk, number five, I believe is what we said we were going to start off with. Sure. Silk, number five, is written by Maureen Gu, with art by Takeshi Miyazawa, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by... I apologize, I got this wrong the first time when I established that VC stood for one thing. It is actually virtual calligraphy. It is the, uh, the, the, the the lettering studio that is kind of like the in-house lettering studio for Marvel. They have a contract with them. It is This issue is lettered by VC's Ariana Marr. Gotcha. Sweet. Yeah. So this is the last issue of this miniseries, which sees um, the introduction of a new antagonist slash rival – Slash, you know, some character who's going to prove to be a thorn in uh, Silk's side for the foreseeable future because they are they wisely do not kill this character off, which is great. Right. And uh, this issue, you know, wraps up the plot that uh, uh, the uh, Saya character, who, spoiler alert, is related to a long-time Spider-Man villain that was revealed in the last two issues, the two previous issues, mm-hmm. and was elaborated on in the last in the previous issue, uh, issue number four. And so, uh, this character Saya uh, had a plot to take over. Uh, a corner of uh, of uh, the gangland in New York, and it all went sour. And obviously, she unleashed powers. Well, not obviously, but what she ended up doing is unleashing powers beyond her control. And she needed Silk's help to uh, to stop that. And that is where this uneasy alliance comes in 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 uh, in this issue. And uh, ultimately, things work out in. A pretty colorful way. That's one way to put it. One way to put it. And uh, the characters, you know, go their separate ways at the end of this, but there is obvious obvious fodder for future stories. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it was very. It was relatively neatly wrapped up, and like you said, yeah, definitely left a couple of things open for for future use. And uh, I would hope, I would like to see, put it this way. Uh, those come back up because while it was wrapped up nicely and neatly, there was I, I wouldn't say it was need to be uh, resolved with uh, a certain relationship that was found out, or uh, well, yeah, that that the relationship that was found out um, uh, at the end of it. But um, but like I said, I would like to believe that would that would be something they would kind of at some point. Um, bring back up. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. That's going to be out there. That's a toy that that's a new toy. There's a couple of new toys, essentially, that Moringu introduced to the silk corner of the uh, the Spider-Man slash Marvel Universe that are in the toy box now for either herself or for other writers and creators to play with. Hmm. And I think they're going to be good tools uh, or t- good toys in the in the to- in the toy box now f- uh, to add on to uh cindy moon's story indeed yes 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 like i said um yeah i, I, I it's a bummer that it's, it's ending but this has kind of been the nature of how we've matter of fact we were talking about this uh prior, right prior to the show and how they're doing uh certain characters yes it's disappointing from our perspective and I don't want to put words into Ryder Cat's mouth, but at least in this regard, it's disappointing that certain characters, certain female characters, um, and certain uh, characters of color have gotten, uh, you know, this this uh, this approach of um, miniseries after miniseries as opposed to ongoing series. Obviously, there are many factors in, at play here when it comes to deciding what gets uh, an ongoing, uh, you know, in in the uh, in the environment that is comic book publishing in 2021. So it's, 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 I'm glad that Silk has gotten this nice five issue series, but still disappointed that it's not an ongoing, despite the fact that I know it's so hard to keep it ongoing going right now in 2021. Right. Mm. There we go. You know, talk about conflicting, uh, you know, conf- uh, you know, conflicting uh, feelings on this particular uh, issue. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, and yeah, I kind of actually, I do absolutely agree on that fact. Um, yeah, like certain characters just kind of get short shrift, seemingly get short shrift in a way by the way they're handled in this manner. Uh, I feel like. Um, but this is kind of what we got to deal with, and yeah, the, whatever determining factors, which may or may not be, you know, <laughs> the the most front and center, as we don't because we don't know the behind the scenes of how they're, you know, of of uh, how of one hundred percent of how they do things uh, or how they make these decisions. Right, so, like who receives a push and when, exactly. when certain books are released. You know, pub, the, the publishing decisions are sometimes baffling and sometimes logical. So it's hard to figure it out, you know, month to month, week to week when it comes to these books that are being announced and canceled. Right. So th- I think we've uh, we've uh, we've done the do on that one. Yes. Yeah. You know, without spoiling too much, you know, it's a fun read. It's definitely worth reading the five issues uh, specifically, if you want to see what direction they want to take uh, Cindy Moon in, you know, uh, separate from her appearances with the Agents of Atlas. All right, and I guess we'll move on to we agreed upon Sinister War number two. Yes. yes All right, did. I'll take care of the credits and I will hand it off to you to start the discussion on the issue. Uh, Sinister War number two was written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson, co-writers. Pencils are by Mark Bagley, Diagene Neves, Neves, 
Uh, Carlos Gomez and Zay Carlos. Inks are by Andrew Hennessy, John Dell, Andy Owens, Carlos Gomez, Gomez and Zay Carlos. Colors are by Brian Reber. And letters are by Virtual Calligraphy's Joe Caramagna, our favorite Python. So, um... Caramagna, our favorite Python. Oh, of course we get that repeated on our show. Yeah, that was that was that was yeah. I I wanted to make sure of something before before we moved a little, before we went any further, but uh if there was any audio doubling uh earlier in the show folks, my apologies. Or if you happen to hear it in the video version, then I apologize. Um but I don't think we got that straight now. Anywho, so yeah. Um we talked about this book also uh, at the beginning of the show, and um, the the one thing to note is that um, I think we were in agreement on is that there's a lot going on here, and it's as we have probably said before with this whole thing is um, yeah, it's kind of going on a little long. <laughs> in this I case, mean, in in this case, it's it's pretty much just like there's a lot going on right now in this thing. Like the, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's just. It's just a big mishmash, right? It's turned into a big mishmash. Uh, you know, it's a messy story where there are literally groups of sinister six types, you know, uh, uh, vying for vying to take down Spider-Man at the behest of Kindred, and they're all competing with one another and have to come to blows with one another because of their. Uh, while they have mutual interest, they are in competition with each other in a sense. So ultimately, you have just hordes of the Spidey villains, you know, classic and not so classic, going at each other and going after Spider-Man. And it's just a gigantic mess. You don't really get too much Spider-Man in this issue, which is always frustrating when you're reading something Spider-Man and it's everybody else but Spider-Man. But you know, we know that this is a, a mini series that uh, that has been le- uh, built up to by Spencer over the last several months, uh, even several years, actually, of um, of uh, 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 Amazing Spider-Man. And this is the culmination of his story. So ultimately, yeah, it's going to be big, but it's been a big jumbled mess in my opinion. I'm, I don't want to put words into Roddy cat's mouth, but I'll let him speak on it now. No, no, I, I agree with that. Like, um, uh, like, and we've, because it's not the first time we've said similar things about what's been going on in the pages of Spider-Man. Um, the thing though, I guess the only positive, th- well, the one positive thing about it is if I feel like, and I don't know if you agree with this, if, we had this particular story back in, let's say, late eighties, early nineties. We'd be all over it. At this length, also, like at the length is going, the way it's been going, I feel like, and everything's building up to this. And this, I feel like we would, we would be more inclined to be like, oh man, this is awesome. Maybe possibly, I don't know. yeah, possibly, but it still feels overly stuffed. True. But like that, back I, in the that's back, really the. Go ahead. Well, no, what, no. What I think you want to compare this to something like Maximum Carnage, 
or you know this yeah. is definitely this definitely feels like a 90s event you know what i mean yes. where everyone's getting together to you know in like a big battle royale slash beatdown right but it just seems like there's too many characters in there right that's just my opinion no no yeah no i agree with you now but i feel like like that in our younger in our younger versions we would be more inclined to this especially with the way spidey books ran back then and you know, especially if you were a, a real big diehard Spidey fan, it was like, oh, shoot, like all of these groups coming together and all this is going on. Like, it's not like this is the first time there's been a green war. Like, this, this is pretty much a, a version of the Warriors, <laughs> except for with Spidey. Well, let me phrase that. A, a part of not necessarily the way it runs off, but like you got a whole bunch of groups going after Spidey for reasons that we kind of know about, but it's not necessarily the Warriors. But I feel like there's part of it that feels like it's invoked from it. And I feel like back in the day, uh, you know, we would be like, oh, man, this is awesome because, you know, because all these people and all his, his Rose Gallery, you know, and, and, and all kind of coming together and the versions of other versions of this Rose Gallery. Now, granted, we would have that would have mean we would have gotten like superiors, foes and, and other stuff earlier than we did now, which probably which is why we, which is precisely what I'm getting at. Right. There's just so many characters here. You know, we would have got, you know, this this reminds me of, you know, we've had dueling sinister sixes right right which is what we've seen this is dueling a whole bunch of you can't duel you know this is a a battle royale of sinister sixes you know <laughs> pretty and, much. And, and permutations thereof right so it's just a gigantic to me it's a gigantic mess no it is uh, i i think that the next issue will clear things up a little bit you know maybe take a couple of the players off the board I also think this might read better as a collected edition because we're not getting too much development in these first two issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of, I mean, it would definitely read a lot more. I don't know. I feel like you're right. But at the same time, man, I can't even picture trying to read all of this. one. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like even even if everything is all together, and it's like okay, because there's point five after point five, and then there's other side books, and then this, and then then Sinister War, and wrap up, and then this with the regular Spider-Man books. It was like even reading it and all, in all of that, I'm like, oh, that's kind of that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah, we're I guess we're getting down to it at a certain point. Like, yeah, this is kind of ongoing, and whatever happens. Uh, after this or during this, we're we're dealing with how many? Do we know how many issues of Sinister War? My understanding is that it was five issues. Okay, yeah. So and I'll then, double check, but you know, well, you know, as we move on to the next book, but right. it was and my then, understanding that it's five issues, right? And then we five still issues. have the regular issues of Spidey, which honestly could have been done in. As we right, said, we're getting, right, we're getting two. I, I I think we've got two more left. Okay, because we get we get to seventy four, and I think seventy five is the one where they start the new direction. Right. Right. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. I, yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. So, irregardless, we still got. Uh, irregardless, Lord, I can't believe I said that. Um, yeah, I was about uh, to say, I was about to call you on it. I'm glad you stopped. No, yourself. I know. I've I've done that a couple of times lately, and I'm sitting like, and, and I've caught myself each, each time <laughs> using fake words. Uh, but regardless, um, it's actually I my 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 mistake 
it's actually solicited in uh, Diamond in the previews as a four-issue miniseries. Right. So we're actually halfway through Sinister War. Okay, that's still sure. Okay. Regardless, uh, we are going to move on to the next uh, book, and I believe that's we said it was going to be X-Men number two. Yes, X-Men number two is written this week by Jerry Duggan, with art by Pepe Larraz, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VC's Clayton Cowell. So... We uh, come right off the heels of the events of the opening issue in Duggan's new volume of X-Men after the X-Men superhero team has been formed that is representative of Krakoa but is based in a treehouse that has been uh, erected and grown in the streets of Manhattan to serve as their base. And, you know, we start off with a kind of a classic, a classic card game image. <laughs> yes. With some surprise guests at the table. Yes. Half the table is a surprise, which we won't give yeah. away. But we definitely get one member of the table, which is a, just a normal character that you would normally see at, you know, at, at a card game. Although I don't recall the host of said card game. Uh, being at too many of them, but you know, it, it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibilities that he would. Right. This host has been around long enough to have created that kind of relationship, you know, to host mm-hmm. a card game. But, uh, but, uh, but, uh, getting back to the story, we are following on the heels of what we learned, what, what Duggan was trying to, what, what, what we see Duggan is trying to establish in this volume of X-Men, which is a group of newer threats for the X-Men superhero team to confront. One of them being a game world threat where uh, Cordyceps Jones is uh, in charge. And I kind of chuckle at the name because it sounds like Earthworm Jim to me for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. But uh, Cordyceps Jones... Uh, you know, we, we've already gotten another story that involves a gambling world or gambling reality with the profiteer over in the pages of the Fantastic Four. Now we have another type of gambling world. Not that there's nothing wrong with that, because we all know there's gambling in lots of different venues. Right. So. It you know it makes all the sense in the world that there that there would be more than one interstellar gambling location, right. you know, and this location is taking wagers on uh, possibly wiping out the Earth, mm-hmm. and one thing that is being ga- one thing that is uh, being gambled upon is a familiar threat. That technically was never unleashed on the Earth, but was unleashed on a space relatively close to Earth because lots of the cosmic uh, 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 heroes dealt with it. I felt like it was, as a matter of fact, yeah, going going further to say that I believe it would have potentially have gone to come to Earth um, had that had it been allowed to when it was when it was the big big 
uh, event, which is which brings about the other, which brings about two other things actually. Um, one, so yeah, and there was also we've also recently seen like a local, more local uh, gambling ring going on in the pages of Spidey, like we said earlier in the, in the before the show. Um, so yeah, there's no shortage of gambling going around in the universe, much less you know uh, um, on Earth. Um, uh, but the threat. Well, three things. Actually, two or three. The Cordyceps uh, Jones threat is definitely the big threat, and the gambling ring is the big threat of the arc uh, of this arc, as opposed to just in general of the in the X Men universe. Because yes, like Agent Seventy said, they have like multiple sort of threats uh, coming at them um, at at various times. So that is the case. But also the fact that um, um. This is kind of another example of a big, big threat, like a, a thing that used to be a big, big threat now being scaled to be a lesser of a threat, like still potentially menacing, but a first arc, um, what, what we call it, a first arc uh, villain that's kind of been, that used to be like a big, like sweeping villain. Like we've seen like Thanos come, become a... Um, uh, a first arc villain at, at various times or whatever, because the thing that is a threat here, which we probably won't give away, or it ends up being the the, the threat that's an issue, as Agent Seventy said, was a big cosmic threat. <laughs> exactly, and 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 as Roddy Cat said very aptly, it is unleashed on a much smaller scale, mm-hmm. and it's that scale that every reader has to keep in mind when we see how the X-Men deal with it, because it's something that when we previously encountered this particular, uh, enemy, let's Mm, say, yes, it was considerably, it was on a much larger scale, a cosmic scale, if you will. Right. Which would not have been, so easily dealt with as it was here in this issue. Not that it wasn't a big problem. Yes. And not that they didn't have to rely upon the now boosted powers of Sunfire. And well, and their the the synergistic nature that they're uh that they're going for with the nature of their respective powers. Right. Uh but definitely boosted powers of Sunfire. But yes. Yeah, just just to sweep you know, he's had He's had a little bit, and 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 uh, you know, before we move on to, I guess you know, they do do, uh, they do do, <laughs> um, they do perform a little bit of service to one of the other dangling plot threads here, which is uh, which deals with some of the other villains that Jerry Duggan is looking to establish in this arc or this run of uh, X Men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that does get dealt with towards the end of the issue. But overall, when it comes, you know, that's that's an Orcus issue. Mm-hmm. But overall, in this, um, you know, in this, uh, you know, cosmic gambling story thread, um, you, you know, Sunfire, I thought, was developed more than we've ever seen him even in the pages of Uncanny Avengers, which they actually highlight here. They did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we get a little bit, you know, we, we there, were, there was some development in Uncanny Avengers, don't get me wrong, 
but we get a little bit more character development with Sunfire here where it's acknowledged that he was never the best teammate. He didn't always take well to direction. Mm-hmm. You know, was always portrayed as the headstrong character. And that little bit of character development here in this issue goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Which... Going on that note, um, I thought that was kind of weird that they was like, well, okay, here we go. So we get this whole issue and things happen and things, you know, things progress along and then it it resolves in a way. And then it just kind of pivots into, which it kind of makes sense, don't get me wrong, but but at the same time, it still kind of felt like kind of out of the blue where it's like, hey, you know, we get this one big chunk of uh, character development for for Sunfire, like right after that, even though, like, I'm not saying that his part in this was small because it wasn't, but at the same time, he wasn't necessarily the focus of the issue. Um, right. So from so from right. going but his to- action, right? It's his action that one alteration in his expected action, right, is the big character development, right? But but the fact that, like I said, the the issue in itself didn't necessarily focus on him to go in and into to going into be like, Hey, here's the whole thing about Sunfire, just in case you didn't did or did not know. And, you know, showing the development of, which is like, good to see, but still like, it felt to me like it was kind of coming out of the blue. It was like, okay. Yeah. Like, cause normally they would have been like, Hey, here's the focus. Like, you know, yeah, we got everything else is going on, but here's the focus of the, uh, of the issue. And it kind of keeps going on from, from there. Not not saying that it can't happen this way, but a lot of times that's what ends up happening. The reason why I didn't see it as coming out of the blue is that of all of the members of this current superhero X-Men team, he's the one that hasn't had any shine. Right. Well, in and, any of the other in any of the other X-Books. Right. Like literally, he's the one that hasn't had any shine because uh Sink and, and Wolverine, Laura Kinney Wolverine had their own, you know, they've had their own um uh spotlight in True. the X-Men volume previous to this one and obviously Polaris was over in um uh, X Factor, right, right. So, but but it was your same reason as why I didn't think he was, you know, that that shine was going to come to him in this one because I like, see. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I, I was looking at it the other way. Like right. he's the one that needs it because everyone else is coming from fairly prominent roles in the other X Men books. Right. You know, during Hox Pox and Reign of X. Right. So, you know, every single one of them, which mm-hmm. is funny. Yeah, basically. So, you know, if there was if there was room for some character development in this issue, it would be from some from uh, Sunfire, right? Which uh, and, and actually totally made me remember in the course of it was like, oh right, Sunfire was on Uncanny Avengers with Rogue, who was also right. on the Unity team, uh, right? Rogue even has a joke in this issue, which made me laugh about her time on the Unity Squad. Yes. <laughs> yes, I thought. Yeah, I got a kick out of that. It's like, yeah, that's which is a, a thing that's come up on in other books at at, at uh, various times. I'm like, oh yeah, that's you know, because 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 if you're going into it, you're thinking like, wait, how does she even know about this threat like that? And then they explain it away with that whole uh, thing. It's like, okay, well done, <laughs> right? Which makes all the sense in exactly. the world. Yeah, and as it, like I said, it has come up as a little as a minor point before because it's like any time you need to do like uh, oh yeah when I was on the you know da 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 and I'm like okay sure that and, and it's usually that same uh, jest or joke whatever the case may be or you know or a some some version of that I'm like okay that's how I know about this thing that I probably wouldn't have known about 
you know, otherwise. Normally, yeah, I was about to say normally, uh, and, and and I guess we can move on after this. Yes. Normally in uh, X books, that bit of exposition would have been uh, executed by Professor Xavier uh, telepathically alerting everyone on the team as to what the threat was because he's sitting at home in the X mansion in front of the computers, hmm. which are connected to the FF computers, which go. are connected to shield mm-hmm. computers, which are connected to the Avengers computers. Mm-hmm. So he would be able to relay that information telepathically. Or somebody so, would have. Yeah. What's that? Or somebody would have been like, right, yeah, right, I was on, right. I was on so, Cerebro that day. And then da, 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 da. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that, you know, the, that particular role was uh, subverted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, here and uh, it was a nice little callback. Yes, <laughs> definitely. So I, I, nice little. so I was tickled when I saw that. Needless to say, uh, that being said, though, we can move on to um, actually pick a book. I guess uh, I, I Mortal Hulk on. number forty-nine. Okay, sure. Yeah, there we go. Because uh, we have that in common, unless yeah. you want to do Avengers forty-seven. I was about to say since we kind of talked about the Avengers yeah but yeah no Immortal Hulk we'll do that because actually it still kind of plays now that I think about it so. alright so Immortal Hulk number 49 mm. this is the pen ultimate issue there isn't as much to it but uh, because it's really much more set up but let me get through the creative team and we will cover this issue it is written of course by Al Ewing with pencils by Joe Bennett inks are by Rui Jose and Bellardino Bravo Colors are by Paul Mounts, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. So, as I said, this is the penultimate issue of Immortal Hulk, and we are all looking forward to the conclusion of Al Ewing's, I don't want to say magnum opus because he's done a lot of work, but I have a feeling that people are going to look at Immortal Hulk as one of his big Maybe not crowning achievement works, but definitely one of the jewels in his crown. I would argue it might be one of I mean, to date, this would be his crowning achievement. Uh, because even when we when we started off on this book, no one ex- really expected it to go the way it had. Well, start the way it had, be the what it was, even coming up, and he'd still be relatively consistent coming to this point. So. Right. I mean, I think it took a while for it to gain traction. Well, yeah, but I, mean, but I feel like we were we were at the very least on top of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we were on from jump. Right. And I, I guess what my anecdotal evidence would be when I last saw Al Ewing at New York Comic Con uh, at the launch of Immortal Hulk. It was soon after the launch of Immortal Hulk. I got my number one signed by him. He was sitting at a table by himself in Artist Alley. Right. You know, it was just a quiet little table, not a, you know, I think I'm pretty sure he was at the Marvel booth at New York Comic Con, you know, for signings. But, you know, he didn't have like this gigantic line of people in front of him. I think Immortal Hulk was still looking to gain traction, but we were all we were early uh, early adopters. You know, let me use the correct adopt word. Uh, (laughs) We were early adopters of uh, of uh, Immortal Hulk. So, uh it is a, a shame that this is coming to an end, but this issue serves as the uh, penultimate, I want to say, a framing device for how we see the one m- 
the one new character that has basically traveled the entire 50 issue run mm-hmm. we've gotten a couple of new characters in this run but this one character who has been introduced as a supporting character uh has basically played a pretty strong uh, a pretty central role in the story throughout this soon to be 50 issue run with annuals and tie-ins thrown in there but um this issue as i said earlier kind of serves as a framing sequence for the final issue and for how we approach the hulk's entry into that final issue we start with a description of the hulk kind of looking for help at least if you're not up to date we have a portion of the hulk is the best way to put it Yes. It is not the entirety of the Hulk because the Hulk is on a mission to rescue the essence of Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. And what we have is a portion of the Hulk, uh, portions of the Hulk, really, who uh, that, have, uh, that, that are working together with uh, Jen Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk, a.k.a. the current uh, uh, another Hulk. Um you know, working to uh, to to, uh, to, uh, to 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 rescue Bruce Banner, and th- this this entire issue, as I said, is is basically being framed as um, from the the point of view of the supporting character uh, as to you know how we get to issue fifty. It's a big setup where you know several Marvel heroes are involved, but it's never. You know, a step-by-step thing. It's all very much told from, as I said, a a gigantic framing sequence. So, um, ultimately, we have a tie-in with one of the newer phenomena that is, phenomenon, actually, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. is introduced in Dan Slott's Fantastic Four. Plays a pivotal role in this issue. So, yes. Um, so, yeah. So, backing up a sec. Uh, well, not even back up a sec, but uh, kind of reiterate what, you, uh, what you're saying. Like, the one, the side character that, that is the, uh, the the main narrative point in this issue and the one that's been here the whole time. Uh, if, if you didn't already know, it's a reference to the old Hulk TV show. And I don't think we... I don't think we expected this character to be... To last this long in this book, I figure because it was like, oh, it's a reference to the thing. They'll come up every now and then, or whatever the case may be. And at a certain point, wasn't sure what what you know what role that character has until they started making not making changes to the character, but start doing a little bit more with the camera character than what they initially started off with. Which I know was already in the plan, so that's not the, that that was not that the case. So it is kind of amusing to see coming from that to you know the character, like you said, being here for the whole ride and being the narrative uh, focal of this uh, of this particular issue and going into the fact that yeah um uh a couple of things kind of come back into play like you know the the um the run-ins with the Fantastic 4 specifically the thing which I thought was kind of cool how that part kind of played off and like you said um definitely uh references the most recent um uh, a couple of things in the most recent uh, Fantasy Four, which now that I think about it, uh, did the 
Did the Baxter Building show up? The new Baxter Building show up in that last issue? Because I know I felt like we, there was reference somewhere, but I don't remember seeing the last issue, the last FF issue. Yeah, or the last couple of references that they were building the new um, Baxter Building. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just they don't actually go to the trouble of showing it, which is actually something they do here that right. Bennett actually portrays here. You know, the 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 new version of the Baxter Building under construction right um you know because of the uh you know uh because of the the particular phenomenon (laughs) that is introduced in um uh, slots ff you know they need a a kind of a way to house it right right and yeah and i do remember that's the case but i don't remember like wow this seemed to progress quote unquote relatively fast but that's just you know Time does pass in this universe. It's not that I'm not aware of that, but it was just kind of mm-hmm. funny to see it at this state, as opposed oh, to what you know, uh, as opposed to what we knew uh, going into uh, or at new during the, in the uh, Fantastic Four. That being said, though, so we also get um, the the um, the is also kind of kind of come into play. Which I'm not going to lie. When that part of this issue kind of came into play, I'm sitting here like, this seems uncharacteristic. If it wasn't for the fact of the way they portrayed it and the way they explained it uh, during that part, it would seem kind of crazy for them to react the way they did. Even though they have, yes, they have come, they have been in this, they've been in this book before as kind of antagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that it's they normally not- would have, you know, with the Hulk. It did. Right. I, I, what I was going to say is there is a certain, and I'm going to look it up on Marvel Unlimited, handy dandy uh, <laughs> Marvel Unlimited, while I'm talking, there is a certain run on the Incredible Hulk, the first volume of Incredible Hulk, where um, the Hulk is, you know, uh, was uh, separated. Right. I remember. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, you know, the Hulk essentially... Uh, is on a rampage and the Avengers are out to stop him. And the one Avenger that hangs back is Captain America. Right. That's essentially what happens here. So it's not the first time that, uh, you know, that, that we've seen, you know, the Avengers kind of lose their cool when they're, they're faced with a Hulk that they're uncertain about. So that's why I kind of, I, I kind of jive with it. And I like the idea that the FF would be the voices of reason because they're the ones who, they're the ones who have a different perspective on it, and I like that Ewing uh, used um, our point of view character to relate that right from the very beginning, mm-hmm. from yeah. the very beginning, and kind of used uh, the, the 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 story, the origin story of the Fantastic Four as the yin to Bruce Banner's yang. Right. I thought that was a, a nice touch, also. Um, but yeah, like I said, I know it's I, like I said, yeah. I know of that the Avengers have been kind of the the antagonist of the Hulk in, in the past. In fact, heck, I mean, in some roundabout way, that's what led to Planet Hulk and, and other, you know. Right. Uh, no, but uh, I mean, right. the only reason why, you know, not necessarily just antagonist, but in this setting. Right. Where they're unsure of how to deal with the Hulk, they immediately go to blows. Right. So. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, that's, you know, this has been, you know, this has been an exciting run. It's, I approached this last issue with a little bit of trepidation because I really hope Al Ewing sticks the landing. Yes. I feel like we have enough faith. Well, we have, he's garnered enough faith 
to where we can be reasonably sure that that happens. Mm-hmm. But there is still a little bit of that hesitation. So I, I agree with you there. Like I don't, I, I, I think for like we've said, like yeah, I don't want to see this book go. But at the same time, you know, it's sometimes you got to run its course at some point. Right. Um, so what I was referring to before we move on, this is during the burn era of the Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. when Bruce Banner and the Hulk are separated, mm-hmm. uh, and um, the issue that I'm referring to. You know, I remember it as a very striking cover. Um, I, I, you know, I definitely still own this issue. It is Incredible Hulk number three twenty-two for uh, anyone who was looking to, uh, who's looking into uh, what I'm referring to. Was that that's not the one where the Vision was uh, dis- had pretty much looked like he was disappearing into the Hulk? That's not that issue, is it? Because uh, that's on the cover, so you would know if you. Yeah. No, this is. I'll show you. Where, I, I'll show you. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll put the cover up because there's nothing wrong with that. No, I come on, up, I cover of this There's issue. nothing wrong with that. This is the cover uh, for Incredible Hulk 322. Uh, hold on, let me give you a close up here. Boop. While oh, I yeah. deal with the glare from my ring light. So yeah, how's that? Uh, go over to your right a little bit, left a little bit. There you go. Good. Now up a little bit. Oh no, yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, you good. You good. You good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. There we go. So the point is, you know, this is a this is a part of a storyline similar to this where we're dealing with a partial Hulk. Right. And the Avengers just can't help but go to, you know. Resort to fisticuffs because they don't have, they don't know what else to do, and it comes down to someone else intervening uh, on the Hulk's behalf, and in this case, it would be the FF. So, right. But uh, but yeah, it's not, you know it wasn't the first time I had seen it. Oh yeah, and me too. It was just very much, uh, you know, it was very much familiar. But like I said, I'm just hoping that Al Ewing sticks the landing on this. I'm going to miss his, you know classical his 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 classical literature slash biblical hmm. references sprinkled throughout the immortal hulk series mm-hmm. i'm just gonna miss it, it it's it, it's going to be you know it's going to be sad to see that finish right because it definitely had there felt like to me there was touches of the old tv show in 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 some of that um uh and yeah it was just great use of uh great use of um uh, uh, um, you know, references literature and, and biblical stuff and uh, biblical um, references and, and everything that tied into it. Just, it was just, yeah, a great uh, narrative focus on this book. Uh, that being said, we can move on to. Um, do we want to go ahead and do rapid, or you got another book you want to put out real quick? Um. No, no, we can do rapid fire, you know, and we'll cover the the last few books that uh, that we have in common. Okay, I think we only have one more book in common, really. That's probably true. All right, spin it. All righty, I'm going to spin it up right now. I ain't got time to bleed. 
rapid fire, cuz. Right. Oh, so uh, the last book that we have in common is Avengers number 47. It's written by Jason Aaron with art by Javier Garon, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So I'm going to be upfront about this. I enjoyed this for the exact reasons that some people I know that I grew up with would not have liked it. <laughs> okay. Right? Because I knew I had a specific friend who was a comic book guy who did not appreciate Captain America as a leader and as a character because it was it was it was like, you know, like uh, people just sort of following him into battle and him shouting out orders. But the way Aaron does it in this issue, I loved. Right. I love the coordination. Because it is a coordinated rescue effort, spoiler alert for this arc, you know, involving uh, She-Hulk being um, captured by the Winter Guard, the former Soviet super soldiers, and uh, being punished for acts that uh, She-Hulk or Hulk did while under the influence of the Phoenix Force during the Phoenix story in the pages of Avengers. And so, um, you know, we're we're approaching that half of the story. But as I said, the Avengers have mounted a rescue mission apparently several weeks into uh, the She-Hulk's ca- uh, captivity, mm-hmm. according to uh, the, some of the dialogue in the story. And... Uh, you know, I really, like I said, I really got a kick out of uh, the two most military-based characters taking uh, taking the lead. You know, taking you know the the ground attack and the air attack, and you know, I'm not exactly spoiling who would be in charge of what here. Correct. You know, not only so. Give, oh, go ahead. Oh. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say I was gonna say given the, the the two characters who most obviously have military backgrounds on the Avengers at this point. Right. Um, yeah, th- th- this is definitely the most the probably one of the most surgical um, of of strikes that the Avengers probably have done in a while, if not ever. Um, and yeah, Captain America's field lead like is always kind of been whether he's been actual chairman or you know, or just feel lead like he normally would, like he normally is um, in, in the situations. Like, yeah, I'm not sure why people would even would be bristling on that, but that's, like, that makes the most sense as the most combat-focused you know, <laughs> person on the group, you know. Um, I know. I just had, like I said, I just had a friend who was just like, ah, that's corny. I'm like, screw you. Right. Like, so that makes yeah. no sense. But yeah, th- they were very effective in this issue. Uh, uh, in, like I said, in a way that I have not seen them in a while. And also, um, it was also kind of funny to me that the, the, um, the civil war references. Oh yeah. That, that was, uh, that was brought in here by who started off this little campaign. Um, it was like, yeah, okay, that's well. I mean, and not the first time in this volume, also, but um, it is just funny in, in this situation that it happens that way. Um, outside of that, yeah, I, I also in kind of enjoyed this issue uh, for that particular reason, um, and for I guess the revelation at the end. Um, and I'm guessing it probably took weeks because they had to find her. I'm guessing they don't really go into that part. That's why I just kind of took it when I, when that part came up. It was like, yeah, maybe they just couldn't find her. 
you know, right. it, it took them that long to find her, and that's and and well, to find them, to find her, and then plan it out uh, mm-hmm. to, to 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 the extent that they did. Um, so, but it it just kind of made for a nice flow of the book. Um, right. Wow, like I said, the, the Avengers going in try to save Jen, and then uh, the the uh, the Winter Guard are kind of you know trying to um, fight them off and. and Excuse me. Basically, Bucky, Bucky rise, Bucky Eisner. <laughs> right, right. You know, and it was a it was a nice little mixture mm-hmm. of the of the different Russian training programs that we have been mm-hmm. uh, exposed to and taught and, and taught of uh, taught about over the course of our you know Marvel Universe fandom. You know, and what's been developed over the last several years, uh, in, in you know, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this World War She Hulk story is not over yet. Nope. So, we this is just the latest chapter in it. So, we will see where uh, this story goes in the next issue. Okay, next so up. Gonna, for, well, before you wait, before oh, we go, before we go, okay. I was going to say, yeah, because of the fact that it's World War She Hulk, um, it kind of evokes that old event from Hulk, which I actually not remember. I don't remember if I read because I didn't. Well, because that was coming out of Planet Hulk, and that was when the Hulk came back to Earth. If I'm not mistaken, correct? Correct. So it doesn't play yeah. out the same way, but it just kind of evokes. Or it, I guess this arc is going to evoke that because of what they're doing with uh, Hulk, She Hulk, uh, right? In the pages of this, right? And it, you know, it has a, a nice ring to it. Yeah. So, you know, you know, uh, as long as it has a nice ring to it, like Heroes Reborn, you know, even though uh, that has its own connotations. Right. But the fact connotations. Right. But the fact that they um, well, yeah, but you would like if they're going to evoke something like that, they would like granted in that situation. Like, oh, Lord, if they had brought up Onslaught, that that would have been that would have been a problem, which that had been a problem for me, I should say. Uh, Right. But in this case, yeah, the. The fact that they invoke it like this, and it's well, again, this is this arc is still going on, so we don't know at this point what's going to uh, fully happen in this. Mm-hmm. But we know the connotations of what could potentially happen, given you know, uh, given the outset of this book. Also, though, uh, as I said earlier, and uh, before we move on, this is the last thing I would say about this is that I like to res- I, uh, we get a reveal of we get a reveal at the end of the book. Um, and as I told the Agent 70 or, um, uh, before the show, I would not mind having a figure, having this figure, um, this, uh, Marvel Legends figure. And I kind of hope they do this because it it's a, it's an, it's a cool look, I think for this okay. character, uh, a cool new look for this character. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to this character after that. Cause I feel like there's going to be a, a couple of reversions happening, but the, I feel like they're kind of going towards, but we don't know that for certain. As to how they're going to get, how the how the Avengers are going to deal with this problem, but we'll see coming out of that. Anyway, that's that. Got it. Alrighty. Next up is Batman number one hundred and eleven. It's written by James Tinney in the fourth, with art by Jorge Jimenez, colors by Tomo Mori, and letters not by VC, but by Clayton Cowles, the person not affiliated with the virtual calligraphy in this, in this uh, position. So uh, it is our latest installment of how we get to future state <laughs> in the pages of Batman. And um, we, 
see the evolution of uh, Peacekeeper 1, that Peacekeeper 1 program, and how we get to um, this program basically taking over all of law enforcement in Gotham and the, the, the moment when uh, Mayor uh, Nakano uh, basically decrees that and what in the events that lead up to this decree that all costumed vigilanteism is uh, under the, uh, you know, is basically uh, declared uh, uh, a target for the Peacekeeper program to take out. And, uh, you know, and that's a big, you know, that's a big part of the Future State story. And, uh, you know, it's no big surprise. We've seen some of these characters developed. You know, we get the uh, Unsanity Collective here uh, becoming more sympathetic as the story has, has, has moved along. Ultimately, I've enjoyed some of the characters that have been introduced. This Ghostmaker character is kind of fun. The one thing I haven't enjoyed is that all of the antagonists and the dupe of a mayor, um, I, you know, he's been played off as of being a reasonable dupe. Uh, they're all Asian or Asian presenting. And I'm like, why are all the bad guys and the idiots Asian in this book? But other than that, it's proven to be a pretty solid read. Uh and ironically, the next book I'm going to talk about is The Good Asian, issue number four, over at Image. It's written by uh, <laughs> Pornsak Pichetshot, with art by Alexandra Tefenki, colors by Lee Luffridge, and letters by Jeff Powell. So we, this is the continuing saga of um, uh, Eddie Hark and his investigation into the disappearance of... Um, the uh, the Asian uh, maid slash lover of his adoptive father, and uh, you know his investigation into that in the streets of San Francisco in the twenties and thirties. It is definitely uh, a noir book and a noir story straight out of that era. There are several uh, historical notes, as always, in this book, in this uh, story, as it's been uh, as it's been playing out. We are up to issue number four. I forget what the total number of issues in this series are. I want to say eight, but I think it might be ten. So we still have a good way to go. To uh, to get to the resolution of this uh, of the story, but it is definitely proved to be a very uh, engaging story. And if you are into noir, if you are into a murder mystery that has lots of twists and turns, I definitely recommend taking a look at this book. And you might learn something. So uh, you know, bonus points for that. Next up for me is Green Lantern number five. It's written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey, Marco Santucci, and Andy McDonald. Colors are by Michael Atia and letters by Rob Lee. So we have a two-part story here, a two-prong story here. We open with uh, the Teen Lantern 
basically looking to exact revenge upon the person and planet that she thinks is responsible for everything that happened on Oa that basically turned everything upside down at uh, in the first issue of this new volume of Green Lantern. Meanwhile, a Yellow Lantern is look you know basically neutralizes Teen Lantern, but in the most gentle way possible. So when I say that, you know it wasn't Sinestro. <laughs> so right, it's the newest one. I'm guessing. Yeah. Mm. So so ultimately, uh, that half of the story uh, plays out, while our second half of the story follows up on the continuing saga of the five-year mission by by uh, by John Stewart and several lanterns who went off into space on deep space mission, much like the Starship Enterprise. Um, you know, to explore strange new worlds and galaxies that are so far from the purview of the Guardians. And, you know, they're the ones who are left essentially stranded out there when that event in the first issue of this series occurred and basically turned all of their worlds upside down. I can tell you that this story that basically revolved around what happened to Jon Stewart and several of those lanterns resolves itself to a certain extent in this issue, but we still have other lanterns to account for. And that's where that half of that's where this half of this uh, story ends. So if anyone is looking to catch up, I think this is an issue that you need to catch up to because some things happen here to tie up some of the uh, story points and plot lines that have been established up through the first four issues. So um, I would not go past this if you're looking to catch up. Uh, you know, say, say you're not caught up by six, definitely need to go back and read up to five so that you, uh, so you, can, so that you can keep going. So, question before you go in further. Um, this is, is this also, because it felt like, and I felt like we've talked about this before, this is kind of a pre future state? Is it? Is it, is it? is it tied into that? I don't remember the Green Lantern future state that well. So, I do, and I know they were kind of scattered and they were powerless because of something that happened on Oa. Yeah, so that's it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So definitely, I want to I want to check this out because that 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 was that was a curious thing that I was kind of wondering about during the course of uh, Future State. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you definitely get all of that being established in the first five issues. So. Right. Cool. You know, if you're going to catch up, this is the time to do it. Understood. Uh, and, and I think that's it for me. Okay. Sweet. Uh, for for my books, we're going to go to. Magic the Gathering number five. Um you know, right, who'd have thunk it, right? Um excuse me, it was written by Jed McKay, uh, illustrated by Egg Guara, colors by Ariana Consani, uh, letters by Egg Dukeshire. So basically the um if you see the cover on the screen here if you're watching the video version, 
Uh, and you should sometime, by the way, sometimes, because you might miss some things if you don't. Um, the, the three guild masters that have been the, um, the, the crux of this book kind of got played. Uh, and uh, so now they're in the search for some more evidence uh, because they have a name of a um, uh, someone who's trying to subvert uh, the goings-on in Ravnica, which is not a surprise because it's in, in this world of Magic Gathering, it's kind of always happening there. So they they basically take trips around to various places in the Magic uh, the Gathering universe, and um, a couple of people... Uh, couple of notable people actually come into play one including one and uh um including one planeswalker of let's say high regard in some respect if you are if you are familiar with magic the gathering uh who's been around for a while and um who comes from a place called dominaria you know who i'm talking about if that's the case and i'm not talking about jace by the way uh, although he does they they have called his name uh but yeah so this is pretty much them kind of running around to different uh places in the magic magic the gathering universe and trying, trying to get some information and they and at the end of this issue they do actually get a the piece of well let me phrase that they find someone uh else of note to where they get to to where they're going to get some more information about this uh god who's trying to um upend things in ravnica so uh that is uh the go- ongoings in that book I've, I've been enjoying it so far and it's been kind of fun of course it's jed mckay so it's you know it's it's been it's written kind of fun it's a little lighter than probably some of the other magic together books that's, that's been in the past um but it's it's kind of fun i like it uh transformers king grimlock number one is my next book um, as I remember that I have the cover to put up, so blip, blip, and that. So, um, the crux of this one is well, first off, uh, written by Steve Orlando, art by uh, Augustine Padilla, uh, colors by Jeremy Caldwell, and letters by Jake M. Wood. So, Hey, folks, do you remember that episode of Transformers uh, in probably like more than likely like season three, if I'm not mistaken, where some Transformers get uh, transported to this magical realm and uh, including Grimlock, uh, especially um, uh, who gets transported to this realm and they end up helping out the people there against this villain? Um, Well, guess what, folks? This is kind of a... um, play on that so the weird thing about this is it looks to be taking place before that happened but it's in referencing to that happening and the reason why i'm saying before that happened is because when that particular um episode happened on the show it was during the time that well optimus is dead rodimus rodimus prime is in charge in this case optimus is around um, and in fact, Grimlock was accidentally uh, transported back to that place because they really wanted Optimus, and so they so the people there are trying to get Grimlock to help um, overthrow a person that was also in that episode that they helped out get in charge. So it, it kind of plays on that a little bit, and again, like they're sort of kind of doing things. Uh, and I think this is kind of like one of the first times Grimlock has shown up in the, the most recent Transformers books. 
uh, now that I'm thinking about it. So, because definitely it hasn't shown up that I can remember in the main book. Uh, but this is the first episode of, of uh, the first issue of that miniseries. And, um, you know, Grimlock's not kind of resistant to helping them out. And the, the person who uh, called out for help's daughter is kind of kind of like Grimlock in, in a way, but also was like, well, look, we just take what we'll, we'll take what we we'll want instead of asking him since he's resistant to it. Um, but also, last but not least, if you ever wanted a uh, D&D uh, character sheet for Grimlock, hey, guess what? There's one in the back of this issue. So you're good to go if you ever if you ever want to do some some um, some some Grimlock D and D. So I hope, I'm hoping there's going to be more of those in the in the in this, but I kind of doubt it since he's the main focus of this uh, miniseries. Um, his intelligence seems way high, but you know, obviously he's a fighter. But that's that's you know, I don't know. Like I said, I saw his, I was looking at the sheet. I was like, how is his intelligence that high, especially with the way he talks and even and and whatnot? But that's neither here nor there. Next up, uh, Transformers number thirty three is my next book. Me, Grimlock, not stupid. And he talks just like that in the course of this issue. So that so that hasn't changed. Um, it's not that me, that's... Grimlock. Say whoever wrote that is stupid. <laughs> So, you know, yeah, so they definitely write them like that, and it's definitely, um, yeah. Like I said, it is definitely written in that vein, uh, um, and like I said, I don't, like, I don't know when this is actually supposed to be within, given the context of the newer, uh, the, uh, the new books, uh, or this just could be some side thing that, that they haven't, because like, like Grimslock, as far as I know, has not shown up in the, in the coasts of the, this main book, which I'm about to talk about now. Transformers number 33 um, oh shoot, I need to pull up the book real quick. My apologies, because I totally didn't get the creators. Um, and I feel like I know at the very least who wrote this, but we're just gonna do this real quick. Uh, but up, but 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 Written by Brian Ruckley, art by Beth McGuire Smith. Colors by David Garcia Cruz and letters by Jake M. Wood. So, um, a couple of things. Bumblebee is kind of sort of the focus of this uh, issue. He's kind of laying low at uh, Swindles. Uh, this uh, I don't know if this, this Swindles is Decepticon, but basically this 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 is this uh, Cybertronian who's running this. Uh, entertainment establishment, let's say, uh, and uh, Bumblebee's kind of on on the low there because one, he's still kind of sort of undercover, but he's also wanted, like the other uh, Autobots are. But I think he's still at this point, he's still kind of undercover with the Decepticons or something. That's that part's kind of weird and unclear. So he's kind of laying low and trying to get uh, and and working for this uh, other bot named Swindle, who. Seems to be a broker of information, uh, and some information kind of comes to Bumblebee um, about the whereabouts of one Alita One, and then a, a rescue and is mounted from that with a little bit of help uh, thanks to Swindle, um, and he also gets to possibly exact a little bit more re- revenge uh, because of something that's happened early in the volume in this volume. 
uh, on the other side of that, Skywarp, who apparently had been missing in some sort of warp accident. I'm not sure what happened to him or how he got to the point where he was, but uh, because of what happened in the last couple of issues, he's back on Cybertron and uh, has now gone to a faction that you would know him associated with. Um, or at the end of this, is he wants to meet up with the um, the lead of the faction that you would normally associate with him because he is not associated with either faction uh, coming back into this book. Next up, Savage Avengers number twenty three, the book that seems to never die. <laughs> Um, is uh, is uh, upon us. Let's see. Written by Jerry Duggan, art by Patch Zerker, color artist uh, Java or Hava uh, Tartaglia, and letters by BC Travis Lanham. So yeah, this is still going. Don't know for how long. It seemed like it's leading up to possible a, a possible end, but it also seemed like it's been leading up to a possible end for a few issues now. So go figure. Um, so. But did you say it's number twenty three? Twenty three, yes. Right. Does it feel like they're 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 looking to wind up at twenty five? Possibly. Okay. But again, this is not the first time that it's felt like it's doing that. Like, uh, um, yeah, like uh, probably about what twenty or eighteen or something like that. It kind of felt like it was kind of leading up some bit, but then it didn't. Um, and then that's when we got into where Conan's owner of the Hellfire Club now, and then we got this other thing. So. Right. Just a very, just as a quick note, you know, we've had to readjust our measurement as to how long <laughs> a story arc can be or should be exactly. in order to be collected into a trade. You know, they've made it so that they're able to, that they're now putting, not able to, because they have always been able to, but they're now only giving you five issues in a trade as opposed to six. Right. Six was the traditional number of issues that went into a trade up until a certain point in time. But now it seems that five issues is the minimum that they want to put into a trade paperback. So shockingly, that gives Savage Avengers, if they make it up to, and we presume they will, make it up to 25 issues, a five-volume trade paperback series. Holy cow. Right. Yeah. Like I said, there's nothing in this issue that indicated that they wouldn't at the very least go that far. I uh, I will say that much. Um, although they probably could end the next issue if they plan on. I mean, if they ended the next year, the next issue, then it'd be like, well, then they got like what three, three volumes, three four volumes. Uh, anyway, of six uh, issues, if they choose to go that route. But regardless, like I said. Um, uh oh yeah shoot I forgot what happened oh yeah so there's something about that something happens in this issue that kind of feel like it's going to be ca- that it's going to be called back to we know a certain character that's been in this, that's been in and out of this book Doctor Strange uh, is going to have a thing happen to him later this year in fact probably coming up relatively soon. And I feel like there was a reference in this book that might be leaning towards that, but I don't know if this book is going to be involved with it. That said, um, uh, the the request of this issue is Doctor Strange uh, dealing with uh, 
or talking to or dealing with Shuma Gorath um, leading up to the end of last issue and then going into um, and then going into the rest of what happens in this issue where where Conan kind of comes in at the end of last issue and it's like what are you even doing and then they kind of go and um, and then they kind of meet with um, uh, well the bad guy kind of presents himself in, in a way and uh, uh, at the end of this issue leading up to whatever's going to happen next issue uh, and that's pretty much that also man thing shows up for one brief second and gets a cupcake so I'm like, what kind of cupcake would the, would man thing even eat? <laughs> it makes her heart sing. Boom, 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 boom. So yeah, that's that. Uh, next up is the Trials of Ultraman number five. This is the last issue of this mini series, but don't worry about it because this won't be the last one. Um, written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom, art by Francisco Mana, uh, color artist Espen Grindigen Jern. And letters by uh, VCs Ariana Meyer. Mayer. Um, so yeah, like I said, this is the the last issue. Um, there was a fight between uh, Ultraman, this Mechajira, and this other actual kaiju named uh, Zumbalar. Um, that fight ends up going a, a certain way, and, and um, that the obvious way you would expect. And near the end of it, uh, there is, I guess, a little bit of sort of attempted reconciliation of uh, Shannon is dead and um, the USP still having some public um, public perception problems because of what was going on in this issue. But at the end of this, um, something I was not I mean, something that I expected to happen uh, with another character that showed up, or a classic um, Ultraman character, I should say, um, that I kind of expected would happen, happens near the end of this book, at the end of this book specifically, and it leads up to another miniseries that's going to happen next year, apparently, according to the end of this to this uh, book, because that's kind of how they've been doing these uh, these Ultraman things. Like it's not been ongoing; it's just been like a series of miniseries that would, you know that would type one thing, but then kind of lead something into the next uh, miniseries. And this one is no exception. So like I said, we won't see that one until next year, uh, according to uh, the end of this book. So that's that. Uh, next up, W.E.B. of Spider-Man number three. Um, there we go. Uh, written by Kevin Shinnick, uh, art by Alberto Albuquerque, color artist Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So, after the events of last issue, uh, the group ends up going to France, but runs in some trouble mid-flight, um, thanks to a hologram of the Green Goblin or something like that. I can't remember uh, what was the case about that, but that, that's basically who they were chasing after anyway. Uh, but they manage to save themselves, end up in Paris, and um, they end up meeting up with one of Marvel's other big brains, uh, a big green brain at that, who I as a, um, who I mentioned to uh, Agent 70 before the show. So, 
That's that. This is the uh, book that was based off of, I believe this is based off of a uh, amusement park ride at Disney. So it's a kind of a loose story based in that. You know, I've not been on the ride, so I don't even know what 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 that entails. Right. It's like yeah. My understanding is that it's like a ride and an attraction. Correct. Together. Right. So, so this is kind of a book that was kind of couched on that, but you know, who who knows if there's any parallels to it actually or not. And also, is a is a group of uh, you know Marvel's smartest folks getting together to try to do some things. Like you know, Peter Parker there, um, uh, Anomi, um, uh, Squirrel Girl. Uh, uh, Moon Girl, uh, Harley, what's his face from Iron Man Three? Apparently, is in there. Who, who apparently didn't know that in, in, the, in the course of this issue, uh, that the Eiffel Tower was originally in France and thought it was uh, a copy from what's in from the model that's in Vegas. In okay. Yeah, so I'm sitting here like, you're supposed to be smart, kid. What are you? What are you doing? And he's not so much a kid, more of a kind of young adult, kind of almost. I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but I know he's older than the kid he was portrayed in as uh, in in um, Iron Man Three. Doesn't matter. So that's how that whole uh, conceit of this book. It's uh, like in between the age of Iron Man Three and Endgame. That's what it seemed like to me. Basically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last but not least is Hellions number fourteen, which I n- believe Agent Seven is going to read. I might skim it. You might skim it. Great. So I still won't. I, I I'll won't. say you can you can spoil it. It's okay <laughs> no. because the Hellions book isn't hasn't proved to me to be all that hmm. enticing. I read the uh, Ten of Swords stuff and I read the uh, Hellfire Gala stuff, but you know it's not uh, you know it's it's not like top of my reading list. Right. So this is written by Zeb Wells, art by Roger Antonio. Um, I'm assuming I meant uh, color artist uh, Rain Barreto and uh, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. So speaking of Ten of Swords, actually, uh, something the missions that the Hellions went on during Ten of Swords kind of comes back to roost for one uh, Nathan Essex a.k.a. Mr. Sinister. Um, Because, you know, as folks may or may not know, he sent the Hellions to um, other worlds, to Arako, to a certain part, to retrieve something, um, to, well, to steal something, pretty much. But then he betrayed the uh, the team uh, in the outset of that. Well, uh, Tarn of Arako, the uh, Tarn the Uncaring, I believe is his, his title, wants that thing back and comes to Krakoa to uh, with a with his. You might want to say with his own black uh, um, black legion or black order in a sense to try to get it back. Um, and in the course of that altercation, they of course you know uh, the 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 Hellions who. Uh, met an untimely demise uh, when they got, well, some of which died while they were in Otherworld and the rest by the hands of uh, Sinister um, in coming back to uh, Krakoa didn't have any knowledge of of the mission and they kind of had to go by what Sinister told them. Well, guess what, folks? Um, that uh, That may have changed <laughs> uh, during the course of this book. And, um, 
yeah, Sinister kind of does a thing um, in, in the outset of this issue. But we do get a little bit of kind of future forward stuff. Uh, there's a reference to a future forward thing from Hoxpox that comes that um, b- before he dips out uh, that gets mentioned. So maybe we might see a little bit more of that next issue, sounds like. Because we were kind of wondering about where that part was actually going to actually come in when after being mentioned in Hawks Pox, put it that way, and it's not really come up like it's probably come up been referenced once or twice, but not really come up with. So we may see that going into the next issue. And that folks is that for me. So we can go to clicks of the week. Sounds good to me. Clicks of the week. And I believe we do have one from Dirt, um, of which I guess I will pull up here, um, because I've never heard of it before. Um, Hyperthick number one from, I guess it's from... Floating World Comics. Floating World Comics, yeah. I'm assuming that is the actual group and not a comic book uh, store. So... Uh, he doesn't really say... Wait, hold on. Does he actually say... I don't think he said too much about this. Uh, see, Okay. He just says that he could, there's no digital copy, so he couldn't share it. But uh, outside of that, um, he just he says there's a, a copy page. And I'm going to pull it up here so folks can see it. Uh, as I move that out of the way. Zoop. It has a newspaper comic um, type... It, it looks like a kind of a newspaper comic, like an old, uh, like the um, old uh, Superman newspaper strips kind of look and feel to it. Outside of that, I'm not sure what is going on here before in this thing. Um, and I don't know anything about the um, the creative team here, so I can't really say, you know, um, what's the deal with the people involved with this. Uh, Although I did get a kick out of the fact that apparently they got, uh, if this is real, they got a blurb from Alan Moore. Yes, I did. See, yes, exactly. And you can see um, yeah, that blurb um, uh, uh, if you're watching the video version. But you could also see uh, a preview page for uh, the the book um, if you're watching the, the video version. And you can see the look and feel that I'm, that I'm talking about. So, yeah, it's a good look at the very least. I don't know what's going on in this book because it seems seems like it's going a place or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to tell from the one-page preview. Exactly, but we don't know. Um, and apparently, the art not the artist, the, the writer at least is a satirical scientific science is a satirical science fiction and slipstream author of several bizarre books. According to the um, the write up here, so there you go. Yeah, and it's and it's a British dude, so getting uh, a blurb from Alan Moore all of a sudden makes a little bit more sense. Yep, 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 yep. So yeah, so that's um, that is. Uh, I don't want to stop the stream. <laughs> so that is uh, Dirt's click of the week. Um, do you have yours? 
I'm still considering. I can tell you what I am deciding between. Mm. I am definitely uh, on. I'm definitely deciding uh, uh, on either X Men number two, which was just entertaining. Okay. You know, I think Duggan is definitely taking the entertainment level up another notch with the with his version of an X Men superhero team up book, mm-hmm. uh, team book that is. Um, I would also say that um, for the same reasons that I stated earlier, I enjoyed Avengers forty seven for how tactical it was, yes. by how just kind of fun to see the team operate the way, you know, the, the way it seemed like they had been drilling, you know, they were being, like I said, tactical, and it was kind of refreshing to see. So I am basically deciding between X-Men number two and Avengers number 47, but I wanted to also give a shout out to Immortal Hulk number 49. I think it's a great issue. It's just that it's weakened by the fact that it's like, like we were saying earlier, it's a setup issue. It's setting up the final issue and basically just going through several framing sequences to set up the final issue. Mm. So I'm still thinking about which one I'm going to choose, but I've told you what my two candidates, my, my, my two lead candidates are. Mm. I, um, so going back to what you said about Avengers, I kind of agree with that one, but also not on the thinking about it. There is, part of that issue that felt like it could have evoked the beginning of Age of Ultron the movie where you, especially that part where you know you see them all doing their thing and um, and going through the motions uh, and fighting and then that one slow motion shot of them all coming together before it goes back into the action again I felt like that would have been something they would have put in here uh, you know uh, if they thought about it uh, that's yeah. kind of how it felt um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a little bit of Call of Duty. <laughs> you know? Uh, Call of Duty is not even that, um, <laughs> that not, not even that, that tactical. Lot of, yeah, it's not definitely not. Running up and shooting people. Yeah, it's just, you know? yeah. Yeah, so that that would be a, a little bit nice. more precise. Yeah. yeah. This is like the ideal of Call of Duty. Yeah, maybe Apex. Apex Legends is a little bit, but even then, like, yeah. <laughs> That's, that, that's very nice of you to say something like that. <laughs> I mean, the few times that I've seen it and played it, I definitely, I definitely understand what you mean. Right. Um, but yeah, like I said, um, Avengers Forty Seven definitely would be a pick for for a click uh, for me. Um, yeah, X Men Two was definitely a, 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 a good one. I would also add probably. Um, Magic the Gathering number five. In fact, I think I'm actually going to go with uh, Magic the Gathering come, go, number five. And that's honestly relatively um, off of the strength of. Uh, one, I'm, I, I can't say that I'm like the biggest Magic the Gathering fan, but the fact that they reference a lot of places um, in, in the world that, that kind of struck a chord with me uh, in, in this and a couple, and a character or two that kind of pops up it was like yeah I know the character and like I know you know something about him and this and that so that was a fun read outside of, um, outside of that but definitely the Avengers 47 would, would be one especially for like I said for everything I was said earlier so that's what you settled on the 47? no I'm settling for uh, um, 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 Magic Together um, number 5 yeah. Okay. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. 
Um. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm still torn. I'm literally flipping through my review copies to figure it out. Nope, wrong one. Ah, you know what? I am going to settle on uh, X-Men number two because I believe Duggan is still doing a good job of establishing the bona fides of this superhero X-Men team and still working slowly through the establishment, his establishment of the the, the threats that this team is going to face. Okay, and shout out to LeVar Burton, <laughs> who's uh, recently hosted Jeopardy. Right, well, and Mayim Bialik and uh, Aaron Rodgers, of all sure. people. Well, sure. So right. we've definitely gotten, we've definitely gotten a, 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 a slew of guest hosts. So, we, you know, hopefully we'll see who um, who steps into the very large and very, uh, very impressive shoes left by Alex Trebek as host of Jeopardy. Right, but I mentioned LeVar Burton being the, the, the most recent and possibly the... the the most popularly hyped uh, by folks on the internet, let's say, uh, as as a candidate. Like I didn't, I didn't watch any of it, but remember, that's neither here nor there. Um, that's a uh, <laughs> that's a topic right outside of uh, what we're dealing with right now. So um, that being said, wait, you did pick right? You said yes, X Men number two. Thank you. So I can write it in, in there. Uh, and with that, folks, we are going to go on to the news section. But first, an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Funko Fun at First Sight, your home for exclusive collectibles such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise such as their custom DIY pop figures. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. To place your first order with 10% off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10 for your 10% off discount. Funko through cspn.us. Do it today. And now we get into the news. And before you start, I wanted to tell you, I heard our news intro, which apparently is what everyone finds when they Google sound effect for news intro. I heard it two different times this week in two very different places. Copycats. Seriously, I'm like... Well, I can't say we were first, but yo, copycats. I'm saying it. <laughs> I'm saying it. Funny. Two very different places. Like one being the government of Tunisia. Oh, wow. And what's that? I said, oh, wow. Yeah. And what was the other? Yeah, yeah. I want to say it was Tunisia. The other one was a church, uh, church camp group that I'm familiar with. Oh. Huh. But, you know, you know, it was, you know, it was part of like a news 
a new story uh, blurb, and I heard them play it, and I was like, oh snap, yeah, it was Tunisia, because it was on the uh, it was on the New York Times Daily podcast, That's and I heard it when I was listening to the daily and I was like, Oh snap. And I did rewind. I'm like, that's our news uh, sound effect. <laughs> that's so funny. That's crazy. That's good. That's nice. Oh, uh, close that. All right. So news. And we're starting off as we do every week with the cinematic news. First up, uh, the suicide squads, Idris Elba suggests that he might not be done with the MCU. Um, so Idris Elba is going to play Bloodsport, or who's playing Bloodsport in this, uh, Suicide Squad, suggested that he may not be done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe just yet. Uh, in an interview with comicbook.com, Elba was asked about his role in the DC Extended Universe and whether or not, uh, he'd become a quote-unquote DC exclusive actor. Which, realistically, not his first DC outing, by the way, because uh, he did, uh, The Losers, so, which is another DC book. Um, made into a film. Anywho, um, uh, and that was before, not I think the Marvel stuff. So it was like he was he was either way. Um, when posed the question, Elba was adamant to the point uh, to the point out the word seemingly with regard to Heimdall's death. Uh, he said, uh, as a quote, uh, "I think that I'm excited about the possibilities in the DC world." Elba said, "And I think." the word of choice to make note of is the word seemingly. Uh, apparently this is not the first time he's um, alluded to the fact that Heimdall, Heimdall may or may not be um, uh, alive before because apparently in a 2019 interview uh, he suggested that Heimdall's powers could have saved him. Um... He says, uh, Heimdall is essentially part of the God family, Elba says, so you know he essentially could be alive. I mean, but there's a... Sure. <laughs> Not to go into all that, because... Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, so there's that. So, you know, whether that's him trying to buck for something or or whether he don't actually knows something about that, whether that character could still be around, who's to say? Next up, Next up, James Gunn is up for bringing Marvel and DC together in a crossover movie, and he's even spoken to both companies about the possibility. The director of The Guardians of the Galaxy and The Suicide Squad addressed the potential crossover in a recent interview with Jake Hamilton for Jake's Takes. The video has been uploaded to YouTube, and you can check it out on the webpage shared by our very own Roddy Cat in the feed. Um... At first, Gunn says he would be really happy to do a Harley Quinn and Groot movie, but uh, he goes on to explain that he actually pitched a DC-Marvel crossover to both companies before, and better yet, it appears that DC and Marvel are both open to the idea, uh, but you know, while it's exciting uh, for even the heads of Marvel and DC to think about, um, it's something we all like to dream about. Whether we could ever get through the barrage, the Berlin Wall of Lawyers, we would need to get through to ever make something like that happen. He doesn't know, but it would be a blast. Look, we can't even get um, the Amalgam books reprinted, much less uh, probably another crossover book like that to ever happen again. Because at one point, uh, DC and Marvel, if you did not know, DC and Marvel did um, uh, a crossover in the comics uh, with the, with their characters uh, becoming amalgams of themselves uh, during the course of that, if I remember, if I remember correctly, so 
we can't even get that reprinted, much less anything else. So the the, the likelihood of um of a <laughs> of a movie uh, crossover between the two companies right. is highly unlikely. I would believe. Right. Our last great, I was about to say, our last great Marvel DC crossover was JLA Avengers, and that exactly. took. You know that took uh, a Herculean effort on the on the on the part of all the creative, uh, you know, all, all of the creators behind that, including uh, Joe Quesada. You know he was still a relatively new editor in chief at Marvel at the time. So right. So anyway, um, like like you just said, it's nice to dream. Um, Aquaman two filmmakers won't wouldn't remove Amber Heard because of Johnny Depp fans apparently. Uh, according to producers, the creative team behind the upcoming Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom gave no credence to whatsoever to the online petition calling out, calling on Warner Brothers to remove actor uh, Amber Heard from the movie. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, Amber Heard's going to be playing Queen Mira again in the movie because there's no, there wasn't any doubt about that um, in the slide east. Um, next. Next up, and this is the big... Uh, cinematic story for the last week and a half, really. Mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson sued Disney over Black Widow's Disney Plus release, essentially because she was getting back-end points as part of her contract on the ticket sales. This is something that, um, you know, from uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's inception, some of the bigger stars were able to get in on so that they could get paid and get that bag um, as a result of being part of the cinematic universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But because of the Disney Plus release, um, the movie release was either artificially and or purposefully reduced and inhibited uh, with the Disney Plus release. And, um, you know, Scarlett Johansson decided to sue over it, presumably because she wasn't given a big enough take or any take with regards to the Disney Plus um, uh, 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 purchases and or uh, subscription sales, you know, subscription buys. So uh, ultimately, uh, we'll see how this plays out in court. I personally see this. And this is the lawyer speaking, not not just the Campo Chronicles co-host, but the lawyer in me says this will get settled because it's all about money. That's all it is. Yep. Indeed. And on that, um, this was something we were talking about before the show. Marvel's Kevin Feige reportedly angry, ashamed about Black Widow lawsuit. Uh, so it seems that Marvel Studios, uh, uh, Kevin Feige is at this point, I think, uh, is very unhappy with Disney's handling of Black Widow and its response to Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit. Uh, Matthew Bologna, the former executive editor of The Hollywood Reporter, reported on Feige's reaction to The Hollywood Reporter. I'm um, excuse me, uh, reported, to, uh, reported on Feige's reaction to the Black Widow situation in his newsletter, uh, whatever. Uh, quote unquote, Feige is a businessman and he's not prone to corporate confrontations or shop fights, but I've heard he's angry and ashamed. Again, this is speculation. Uh, I mean, this is. You know, this is someone said who could be just a Feige fan, just like, yeah, this is is what I heard. Like, so I personally, and I'm like, we don't have to go too into this. Like, I kind of had thoughts on this. Uh, Agent 70 has his thoughts on that, which I'm sure he will share again. I'm like, yes, 
Feige's the head of the is the president of Marvel Studios. Yes, he might not be um he might not have anything to do with the money aspect of what the stars are getting or anything like that. He's as Agent Seventy has said himself, he's more on the creative side of things. I I part of me the cynical part of me as Agent Seventy also said is like I feel like somewhere where whether he fought for it or not, he kind of knew about this and the fact that he this has come out. Could potentially I'm not saying like I don't want to believe Feige's like that. Like I believe I would want to believe that, yeah, because he's angry and, and whatever about this, like, this is legit, le- legitimate in him. But also, I feel like if this hadn't come out, the, that I, we probably wouldn't have heard anything about that and it wouldn't have... I feel like this is kind of coming out because... I mean, this this is coming out because the Scarlett Johansson's, um uh, is suing the company for this and he probably already knew something about it, whether he had any effect on it or not. So, I don't know. Again, that is the cynical part of me saying this. Like I said, I don't want to believe like he's like that, but at the same time, like I don't put anything past any uh, president, head of any association or anything like that to, to what they know, what they had uh, dealings in. My real, res- my only real response to that is, you know, as, as Roddy Cat mentioned, Feige's always been more on the creative side. And this is very much a money side and a legal department side. And ultimately, it became, you know, it became an issue because no one decided to get in front of it. Right. And ultimately, they decided not to settle this because uh, this was an issue with Wonder Woman 1984. Mm -hmm. And uh, Warner Brothers got out in front of that because... um, Godot or Godot and um, uh, what is the director's name? Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins. They both made us think of it, but they never got to suing because ultimately they got the bag. Right. That's what needed to get done here. And so, you know, uh, Disney more so than Marvel because uh, Disney holds the purse strings mm-hmm. uh, uh, in this particular relationship. Disney dropped, you know, dropped the ball on this and and failed to uh, give uh, Scarlett Johansson enough hush money to, to 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 make all this go away and to make sure she got paid. Right, or to very so, least do right by just what a big. Sorry, right, but exactly. But ultimately, this is all just a big embarrassment to Feige, who is the unquestioned idea person he's the person who every creative behind these movies points to and says feige doesn't necessarily write all the movies but he's the one that guides the movies he's the face and that's that's the no not the face but definitely the 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 mind behind uh setting up how all this um connects and so that's really what that's really what the difference, I think, between knowing and having the power to do something about it lies. Right. So he may know that, uh, uh, the, you know, he may know, and this is just conjecture on my part, that the contracts say that, um, you know, you know, uh, obviously being familiar with how these the, this point system works with uh, ticket sales for, uh, for, for these stars who have this negotiated into their contracts, he's familiar with that. Right. And what he may not be familiar with is whether or not they were able to renegotiate based on this new streaming release system that came about during the course of the pandemic. Ultimately, it's just a big embarrassment for every side involved. And 
everyone's looking to defend Scarlett Johansson, I think rightly because she is yeah. the uh, the labor side on this. And ultimately, uh, it you know, if the other side's not willing to negotiate in this, you know, very much unfair relationship, you know, it's going to it's going to come out that this is in fact a, a, a breach of contract because this was all drafted pre-pandemic, right? Now and it wasn't adjusted and wasn't adjusted during the pandemic, which is the whole point, right? Now there there have actually been some people who have s- dumb stupidly said, well, she should have read a contract or blah blah blah, basically putting it on her. You know, there, there's always going to be those stupid people. Uh, out there doing doing that, but like I'm pretty sure the reason why she's suing is because she did, <laughs> you know. But the reason why I mentioned the face, the Kevin Feige being the face, because like anytime any of this comes I was out, say let's back this up for a second. Okay, sure. If she read her contract, that's why she's suing. Right. That's what, that's, I just there, she's not the one. She's not the one in breach of contract. So let's not talk about like the real idiots. Right. I think the people who are complaining or at least taking Disney's side on this probably just don't get that these stars are going to get paid one and two they're going to get paid on top of getting paid that's their goal well is to make sure that they are compensated um according to how uh, according to how what they were uh, what what they agreed to. Right. You know, and if they are, you know, and, and, and if those agreed upon terms are breached, hey, there's a lawsuit for you. Right. And like I said, and yeah, and like I said, the stupid people are pretty much like some, some of them are because they just don't like Scarlet, Scarjo because of her high profile and the fact that she's in a lot of things and blah, 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 blah you know, that, so some of that comes, all of it comes out of, that part comes out right, of Right, and she is, of course, an, uh, a person of color because, you know, she, she was in Ghost in the Shell. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, that got brought up also. <laughs> but anyway, but going back to what you're <laughs> Shots fired. But real quick before we go, yeah, before we go on, the reason why I meant said Kevin Feige is the face is because anytime anything with Marvel Cinematic Universe and the 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 handling of it comes out, like he's the voice that a lot of this information flows and other like, like he's the one that people think about, you know, initially being at the whether he is or not being at the the top of this. Like I said, he's the one that he's the name that kind of gets that is out there in front of all of this. Um, that's why I said he's the face. I'm not not saying he's the actual face or the you know the actual thing, but like this is the person that people think about. This is the one that people go to for anything. So it looks bad. It definitely does look bad on him, whether he has anything to do with that or not, because of the fact that it was like, well, what you know. And I know I'm not the only person who would be like, well, why did you know, you know, what did what if I, if I get to come to this? Like I know well enough that he probably doesn't have anything to do with that side of it, but. There are people who would be thinking X, Y, and Z because of the fact that he is who he is, and because of he's the public-facing uh, part of part of this whole big arm. That's the only reason why I said face. Anyway, uh, last um, last thing on this note. Um, apparently, there. Oh wait, no, that's you. It's okay. No, I mean, yeah, it's it's tied in, so I guess I'll cover it. Yeah. So uh, you know, related to the lawsuit. You know, there is an email, but this is dated pre-pandemic. So, you know, right. ultimately what 
ultimately what it does is it backs up that this movie was slated for a wide release, but no one had heard of uh, COVID-19 yet. So <laughs> ultimately, you know, uh, uh, all, all it does is bolster Scarlett Johansson's case, you know, which on its face is already part of the contract. So mm-hmm. let's not, you know, let's not overhype, uh, overblow the impact of this document. So. Right. But this is just like a little, like this is a recent, I guess a recent um, reference that people decided to bring up. Next up, uh, Christian Bale as Gore, Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher, Butcher revealed in Thor: Love and Thunder set photos. Uh, so Academy Award winner Christian Bale, wow, I can't believe I'm, that that's actually a thing, has been spotted in full costume as Marvel villain Gore the God Butcher. The actor was spotted while filming uh, Love, Thor Love and Thunder in Malibu, California, with images giving uh, us a good idea of what the cosmic villain will look like in his live-action debut. If you're watching the video, you can see um, a picture of... Uh, or pictures of um, that. Uh, I don't know if there's any more in this article. I haven't looked yet. I want to be surprised. There... It's, it's not much. It's just like, like I said, there's a there's an image at the top of the um, article, and then there's like a tweet that gets referenced that doesn't that has, um, you know, um, a comic image. No, no, not even that. Actually, uh, just Christian Braille in in a in a uh, photo in a um, like a a stock photo um, uh, aside another image that could possibly be from the movie. I'm not sure what what this other one is. Um. So that yeah, those are the only couple of pictures that is that are even in this article. So there's that, you know. Uh, Thor fans who've been reading like uh, eight to seven would probably be able to see this and like see if that's actually a good likeness, or even that we don't even know if it's actual like it because we don't even know where this where this uh, top image where the CGI comes, comes right right. But it the, will. The CGI is definitely going to come in. It's not going to be all prosthetics. Exactly, so. but we know he is in it's and this article kind of mentions that, so. All right. Yeah, because it says it looks like Bale's role as Gore will involve a lot of prosthetics and makeup as opposed to the CGI character that many expected. Really? Yeah, Interesting. That's what it says here, so. But next up. All righty, Disney has revealed that Marvel Studios' Hawkeye is going to premiere on Disney Plus on November 24th, 2021. With new episodes arriving each and every Wednesday, I want to say, given that date, it's definitely Thanksgiving time. Uh, it would be the that might the be the before. Wednesday right before Thanksgiving. It is, yeah. That's usually the case, yeah. Right, well, yeah. you know, it's third. It's the third Thursday, but you know, just given how the calendars work, every once in a while, it's not that date. So it's just no, interesting. No, that's what I'm saying. It's usually the week, cause it's always on a Thursday, like you said. And, uh, and it, that's the, usually the last weekend of the, the week of the month, which this apparently is. So yeah, it's definitely, it looks to be the, the Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. Okay. So I'm looking forward. I'm kind of looking forward to this. I want to see what this is actually going to be. Um, and how much focus on one, one, one over the other that's going to get out there, and end up being. Um, next up, though, Star Wars: The Mandalorian says Star says season three begins filming, quote unquote, soon. 
So, Giancarlo Esposito reveals that season three of the live-action Star Wars series begins filming soon, and the Moff Gideon actor uh, teases the villain's revenge on uh, uh, Baby Baby Yoda, a.k.a. Grogu, in the new season. Uh, uh, let's see, see. He basically says that they just finished shooting Boba Fett, uh, and soon they will start on season three of The Mandalorian, according to... Um, uh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito at uh, GalaxyCon from this weekend or sure, this past weekend um, oh yeah, I totally forgot he was done it because I did see something about it anyway, um, I asked if audiences will see more of, of, of his Imperial character in season 2 and the new season, uh, Esposito confirmed a larger presence for the villain taken into custody in season's 2 finale uh, he says, uh, I, I'm assuming he makes a joke about killing, uh, baby Yoda. Uh, and he also makes a reference to Pedro Pascal, who is currently filming, uh, the last of us. And, um, basically says, they don't know what Pedro's up to. We never have to wait on him because the, because his character is normally in a helmet. So I guess they could just put, uh, record his lines in post or, or at some point because he's in, uh, and use a stand-in. I don't know. So, and it says here, season three of The Mandalorian is expected to premiere in late 2022 on, of course, Disney+. Next. Disney has announced that Star Wars The Bad Batch will be getting a second season on Disney Plus in 2022. This was revealed ahead of The Bad Batch's two-part finale for its first season. And, um... The Bad Batch has already aired its first 14 episodes, and the previously mentioned finale will be available to all Disney Plus subscribers on Friday, August 6th, uh, momentarily as we speak. Yes, basically in a few short hours from this recording. Um, And I know Agent 7, well, I usually don't know. Are you... I am absolutely caught up. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, see, I have not. (laughs) I just stopped bothering you about it. Yeah, it wasn't bothering me. Um, but no, I'm just saying, stop nagging about I know. it. Be like, are you up to date? 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 Nah, yeah, it's all good. It is all good, and I probably will be soon. Um, but actually, well, I'm not even gonna say that because I would be. Well, I'm about to say I'm waiting. For, I was waiting for the the season to end so I could watch them all. That's a bold face lie. Anyway, uh, next up. Uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation will rename Skeletor in Part 2. Did you actually have watched this? Yes, I have, I finished. I'm up to date. Okay, well, no, that's right. It was Transformers, the the one that you said. I so. finished that also. Oh, nice. So, um, well, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap back around to that some of that. Def- I was about to say, that definitely took a turn. Yeah, right? <laughs> I guess we'll talk about it at the end of the show. We'll talk about that. Yes, yes. So, um, I guess still kind of spoilers... Uh, for part one of uh, Masters of the Universe, you know, so some things happen. Actually, we won't really spoil it because I know there's some people that still probably because we're still at this point, what, like two weeks out, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, something happens at the end of part part the uh, part one um, with a, a character and or a couple of characters, I would say, and um, yeah, leading into what this article is talking about. Um, and I don't remember that uh, at the end of uh, episode five that actually happening, or maybe it did, and I just don't remember it because you know 
things were going on at the time. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Uh, what I guess what my question is would be: Do we have um, a date for part two? Uh, part two still lacks an official premiere date. Okay, moving right along. Next, Netflix has announced that its live-action adaptation of the DC comic Sweet Tooth has been renewed for eight more episodes with the season two. The episodes will each run one hour. Um, yeah, we don't have a start date for that, but we get the official announcement that it has been renewed for a second season of eight episodes. Okay, cool. Uh, Taika Waititi's Flash Gordon movie is now live action, apparently. Um, Jungle Cruise producer uh, John Davis, uh, told Collider that the change was made at Waititi's request. Uh, quote unquote, Taika's writing it. Uh, the 80s Flash Gordon movie was a movie that was fl- a huge influence on him growing up. It was one of his favorite mov- movies. Uh, he initially said to me, Let's do it animated. I said, Okay. Then we got into it and started developing it. And he said, No, let's do it live action. I said, Even better, which makes him sound like a yes man. Um, <laughs> in, uh, in, in this, uh, but, um, yeah, that's the thing. So I guess now there's possibly going to be a live-action uh, remake of or redo or a you know, brand-new Flash Gordon movie. We don't know what's going on with that. Actually, I don't remember even uh, hearing about him doing uh, an animated version of this. But here you go. Next. Next up, Alex Kurtzman is going to continue his run producing Star Trek with CBS for at least another five years. The producer, director, and writer has worked on the Star Trek franchise since 2009, beginning as a co-writer and executive producer for the 11th franchise film directed by J.J. Abrams. Um, For Variety, Kurtzman and CBS are renewing their contract until 2026. The TV deal is with both CBS Studios and Paramount Plus, both subsidiaries of Viacom CBS. Uh, Secret Hideout, Kurtzman's production company, is going to continue to add shows with the help of new hires. Um, all of Kurtzman's Star Trek series have been produced through this Secret Hideout production company. Uh, Bad Robot. What's that? I don't know. I was just uh, doing the Bad Robot, the J.J. Uh, yeah, that's J. the J.J. Abrams. Abrams. Yeah, right. Yeah. But that, that right. but, but secret hideout just reminds me of that. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, you know, I I have not kept that. Uh, I haven't kept up with a lot of the Star Trek stuff that's mm-hmm. come out on Paramount Plus. I did. Uh, I did find a way to uh, be up to date on Picard, but nothing else. So right, which we do have season two coming up at some point. Um, and actually, speaking of this other Star Trek stuff, so. Uh, two more Star Trek shows are reportedly in the works, including one set at Starfleet Academy. One of these we already kind of knew about because it was the Michelle Yeoh spin, um, Section 31 spinoff, uh, reprising her role from Star Trek Discovery, uh, of which I still haven't caught up on, but I, but I still plan on to. So that's a, that's the thing that's been kind of rumored. Uh, to be in the works, and I think believe that was that other um, Star Trek Brave New World one, which I believe is actually a thing that's going on with um, uh, Anson Mount and Re- Rebecca Romaine. 
think that's also a thing. But this other one that has to do... This other series, according to this article, is aimed at a younger audience and will be set at Starfleet Academy. Um... And there's a quote from, from Kurtzman here says, I think we're just getting started, said of, uh, Kurtzman said of the expansion plans. There's so much to be more to be had. Uh, there's so much money to be milked. Um, that is my, um, <laughs> that's my postulate, uh, the thing I posited in there. Um, mm-hmm. he, he added that he hopes Star Trek will be going further in the future. Uh, if it were up to me, I would be pushing the boundaries much further than I think most people would want. I think we might get there, he teased. So, there you go. Next. Uh, last up in cinematic news, Alicia Vikander, who played Lara Croft in the tw- 2018 Tomb Raider film adaptation. Wow, that was 2018. I know, right? Has confirmed that a sequel is still in development. In an interview with Collider, Vikander was asked about the film's progress and whether or not the sequel was still happening. She says, yeah. Pre-COVID, she would have said yes, and now she thinks it's a yes still. It's not greenlit, but the script is in the making, and she thinks everyone is excited, and she personally would love to revisit Lara again. Okay. I'm sure she would. <laughs> All right, so that is the end of the cinematic news. Now we move over to the comic book news. Holly Quinn, writer, explained the idea behind the series' new pet, Waffle Dog. I feel like they were trying to go for a pizza dog thing, but hey, we're not. Uh, Stephanie Phillips shed some light on the origin of one of Harley Quinn's newest characters, the endearing canine known as Waffle Dog. Uh, the writer prefer- provided an amusing backstory to the genesis of the four-legged friend during a panel discussion at this year's Virtual Comic Con International. According to Phillips, Waffle Dog came about when artist Riley, Riley Rosmo could no longer contain his enthusiasm for the prospect of drawing a dog and a bear. Um, quote, uh, a long time ago, there was this thing. There were things that Riley told me that he was really excited to draw, one of which was a dog and one was a bear. And so we found a way to have an issue of Harley Quinn that has both a dog and a bear. That dog's name is Waffle. Uh, Phillips related and then she expanded on how the, the character was um, developed from there. So, there you go. Next. Next up, Kaylee Cuoco, who stars as the eponymous anti-hero of HBO Max's Harley Quinn animated series, is encouraging fans to support their local comic book shop and pick up the show's new digital-first tie-in comic, Harley Quinn, the animated series, the Eat, Bang, Kill Tour. On her Instagram story, Cuoco shared a photo of herself reading an advanced physical copy of the Eat, Bang, Kill Tour number one. Physical copies of the issue are currently slated to hit comic shops on Tuesday, September 14th. However, the comic is also available digitally right now through DC Universe Infinite which is fitting seeing as how the Harley Quinn animated series was originally a DC universe exclusive before jumping over to HBO max. This is a six issue series. Mm-hmm. Shout out to uh, T Franklin and uh, Max Aaron, the creative team on, uh, on that. Um, next up, Wonder Woman brings uh, Diana back to earth with a serious power boost. 
Uh, spoiler for Wonder Woman uh, 1972. Wonder Woman uh, issue 776, which I believe just came out this... No, last week, probably. Yeah, I, I think it was last week. Yeah, I think it was last week. Uh, ever since Diana sacrificed herself at the end of Dark Knight's Death Metal, she's been on a cosmic journey that's kept her beyond the mortal world. Uh, while other f- heroes have been exploring the infinite frontier uh, she brought about, she only managed to see glimpses of it in Infinite Frontier Zero before f- being flung into the God Sphere, a seemingly inescapable space that contains mythical realms such as uh, Olympus and Valhalla. In our latest issues, though, it seems like uh, Wonder Woman may have found her way back to Earth with a serious new power, according to this article. Uh, and it goes into how she arrived at those powers and what happened uh, during the course of that, which we won't go into for not spoiling people who want, want to be surprised by that. So, But it sounds like she's a Valkyrie. <laughs> In short order. Um, so there you go. Next. Dark Knight's Death Metal! Excellent! Next up, hitting shelves on January 18th, 2022, Mr. Miracle, The Great Escape is a new DC young adult graphic novel that provides a fresh look into DC's iconic character, Scott Free, a.k.a. Mr. Miracle. Interesting. So this is crafted by uh, Coretta Scott King honor-winning author Varian Johnson and Afrofuturist artist Daniel Isles. This coming-of-age tale follows Scott Free as he escapes from oppressive forces. Not only does Scott Free's plan have to work for Scott to make it out alive, but his found family's freedom depends on it. Interesting. This marks both Johnson and Isles' debut project with DC, and is scheduled to hit stores and online retailers everywhere. Books are sold on January 18th, 2022. And if you... Um if you are watching the video version of this, you can see the what seems to be the cover of this, which doesn't feature Scott Free. <laughs> um, so, interesting. Uh, and I'm cycling through the art right there, so you can kind of see glimpses of that. But it'll be in the show notes if you uh, want to check that out for yourself. Next up, Batman's It's new- kind of tough. I was about to say, just, just very quickly, okay. it's kind of tough. Gosh, was it that long ago we were reading Mr. Miracle by Tom King and Mitch Gerards? No, nah, it was only like a two years ago. Like, what, three, three years Three ago? years. Yeah. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like forever. I know. And he has done, <laughs> done other 12 issues with other characters that may right. or may not have hit similarly. Um, right. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, 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 you're good. Uh, but, you know, no, it's a good point to, 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 to bring up. Uh, Batman's new one million costume revealed by DC Comics. Uh, uh, Batman one million is returning to the pages of DC Comics with a brand new look. Uh, in a new promo image for the upcoming Batman Urban Legends number seven, the Dark Knights uh, of the far future gets a notable costume change for his upcoming story, trading his darker ensemble uh, for another for a more silver look and longer bat ears. And apparently, I guess this this character came from uh, a Grant Morrison crossover series, uh, and this article kind of goes into uh, that that stuff and uh, um, how it plays into uh, Batman: Urban Legends number seven, which we won't have to go into next. It's the one million costume, I guess. So, yeah, it's just like another reminder that Aaliyah's. Uh, most of Aaliyah's music mm-hmm. is not streaming. 
<laughs> I didn't go there with that, but yes, you're right. <laughs> Just nice. another reminder. I was thinking. Shout of, out, baby girl. Oh, no, but right. anyway, uh, um, I was thinking of the whole uh, one million BC and that the, the, the DC and both both DC and Marvel has uh, delved into. Right, 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 right. Um, Thirty-four years after Christopher Reeve last donned the Man of Steel garb, his story picks up again later this year with Superman 78. Writer Rob Venditti and artist Wilfredo Torres are continuing the story of Reeves' cinematic Superman in the six-issue comic book series Superman 78. It's set between the film Superman 2 and Superman 3 and mixes the classic superheroes of the Man of Steel and Metropolis with the interpersonal relationships he has as Clark Kent uh, and the daily uh, with the Daily Planet staff, obviously including Lois Lane. Um, there's a preview in the on the website that Roddy Cat is uh, uh, going through now. Uh, issue number one goes on sale August 24th, later this month, with a primary cover by Wilfredo Torres. Interesting. Yeah, I will, I will probably check this. Like this is that Batman eighty nine book. I will probably check out. Um, and yeah, I just took a glance through the the preview pages. Uh, uh, if you're watching the video version, you will have seen me kind of float through them. Seems interesting. So far, Jim Lee squashes rumors DC's publishing is in danger. Uh, it's the exact opposite, according to him. So DC's uh, chief creative officer, Jim Lee, promises promised that the publishing arm of the entertainment company isn't going anywhere. I feel like this is a rumor that comes uh, kind of comes up every three to five years, uh, or at least in recent history. Speaking to The Hollywood Reporter about the future of all things DC, Lee and the senior VP and general manager, Daniel Cherry III, were uh, asked about rumors that one media will shutter the publishing arm of the media empire, focusing instead on movies, TVs, and video games. Lee responded, saying there's no truth to the claims. Occasionally, you will run across that article or tweet, and I have to bite my tongue to not jump into the conversations, Lee said. Uh, it's the first thing from the truth. If anything, it's the exact opposite. Uh, the comics that we publish, the core canon we establish in comics, is driving everything we do across DC and media. We're constantly referring to the characters as we build uh, DC beyond the publishing world. Um, and it, it goes on from there, but that's pretty much the gist of it. Next. Next up. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Jim Lee raised over $800,000 for comic shops with his 60 and 60 original art sketches. So the last of those 60 and 60 sketches meant to fundraise for comic shops affected by the COVID-19 pandemic is complete. And the sum raised was over $800,000. That's pretty cool. Yep. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, HBO Max is getting its own exclusive podcast, starting with Batman. Um, the HBO Max team wants this app to not just be a place where people find big movie premieres, but podcasts also. Uh, the company announced today, or well, announced that it's planning to release its new Batman podcast, Batman The Audio Adventures, as an in-app exclusive. Meaning it won't make its way to other podcasting apps or be available through an RSS feed. Hey, remember those folks? 
um, the scripted show, which features Jeffrey Wright as Batman and Rosario Dawson as Batwoman, will uh, premiere this fall, although no exact date was provided. Um, in a chat with The Verge, Joshua Walker, Chief Strategy Officer at HBO Max, says that the decision to make the Batman the Audio Adventures exclusive has to do with the show being a scripted original series. I feel like I don't buy that, but okay, sure. Uh, for scripted originals, our working theory now is that they should sit aside our other scripted original content exclusively within the HBO Max environment, Walker says. But because we're early days on scripted original uh, audio content, we do look at this as something that we'll learn from. And we'll see how it develops over time as we go from here. AKA, if it doesn't work out and people not come over, we'll probably push it over to Spotify and other places later. That is that is my assertion, not theirs. <laughs> uh, the show won't include ads and will be a part of HBO Max's uh, subscribers included content, which means, yeah, you, you got HBO Max you're paying for. If you're paying for HBO Max or you have access for doing it, then you just got it. Next. Uh, McFarlane Toys uh, announced that they are further expanding their relationship with DC and Warner Brothers consumer products. McFarlane Toys has entered into a global licensing agreement with consumer products to unleash a new line of McFarlane Toys designed statues, busts, and figures based on DC's roster of characters. Um, fans can look forward to this array of McFarlane Toys created collectible DC collectibles coming in 2022. McFarlane's also going to manage the current DC Direct inventory, uh, which doesn't fall under their banner, but uh, I guess will now be managed by uh, McFarlane Toys. Mm. Cool. Uh, Star Wars bring Tartakovsky's Clone Wars to the Vintage Collection. Uh, Hasbro has announced a new batch of Star Wars figures in the Black Series and Vintage co- uh, Collection lines. Inspired by Jindy Tartakovsky's uh, 2003 2- 2D micro-series Star Wars Clone Wars. Um, Hasbro's addition to the Star Wars Black Series and Vintage Collection include new retro packaging for figures that were previously released into the lines, such as Isla Secura, Arc Trooper Captain, and Barris Afi. Additionally, the Black Series welcomed Paz Vizsla, uh, a Shore Trooper, and a Scout Trooper to the lineup, inspired by the Mandalorian. And I'm going to scroll down into this article to see if they have any pictures, and they do. So you can see the Ella Secura there, um, in and out of box, in and out of packaging. Um, here's uh, Luminara Unduli, uh, in and out of packaging. Uh, Barris Offy, same way. Uh, Arc Trooper Captain. Uh, let's see, Arc Trooper. Uh, and a Battle Droid, apparently. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, and we got a Scout Trooper from the Mandalorian. And uh, a, looks like a gold-looking. Oh, this is a short trooper. Okay, I don't remember seeing this picture. Oh, this 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 particular version of a trooper in the Mandalorian. Maybe I'm tripping. Uh, carbonized graphite. Okay, okay, so yeah, there's like a goldish, greenish-looking color oh, colored one. And of course, there's Paz Vizsla from the Mazda, uh, from the Mandalorian figure. And that is it. Next. 
Renegade Game Studios is, is going to release a G.I. Joe deck building game in October. Um, let's see here. In the G.I. Joe deck building game, players recruit Joes and vehicles to send them to complete missions that are included in the story pack. There are two missions in the story pack. The the two missions in the story pack are the mass device. Oh, gotta love it. And Operation mm-hmm. Total Control that features Dr. Mindbender and a brainwave scanner that can brainwash world leaders. Oh, that's that that sounds very fun. This game is for one to four players, ages thirteen and up, and plays in thirty to seventy minutes. It's going to retail for forty-five dollars. I mean, it's probably yeah, probably akin to those uh, DC deck building boxes, which are relatively sizable. You know, they're they're relatively big boxes. Oh, big enough, you know, for that kind of stuff anyway. So it's right. These aren't yeah, exactly. This isn't a bunch of pack. This isn't like two little packs. This is one of those, you know games that come in a big box and as I said uh, accommodates one to four players will Ryder Cat get this? probably (laughs) (laughs) whether he plays it or not different story will he buy it? more than likely Um, um, also I've been uh, been on the side note I've been watching um, the the live stream that Hasbro still has up of the um, on YouTube of the G.I. Joe um, G.I. Joe uh, cartoons sure um, I was still looking to, to see if they were ever going to put uh, Cole Slither on there, and they haven't. Oh no! But they, you know, they have a lot of others. Like they, the more the majority of stuff you would know if you if you're of a certain vintage, it, it's pretty much there. But they don't have Cole Slither, sadly. A band um, of vipers playing our tune. Exactly. Um, and if you know what uh, network we're on, you know exactly where that uh, that name. How the the the, um, the network got its name. Next up, though, that's you. Oh, uh, the Suicide Squad starred David uh, Dasmushen as uh, Count uh, Crowley returning for Volume Two. So, like we talked about it, this, but I don't remember this. So, two years ago, David Dasmushen uh, was working on was working hard to deliver the biggest performance of his career in. The Suicide Squad. Obviously, you already know him from Ant Man, also, and um, all the stuff he's been in. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. Anyway, despite demands of playing the polka dot man in the filmmaker's Jones Guns DC film, Dutch Machines uh, couldn't help but make time for his dark horse comic book, Count Crowley, Crowley uh, Reluctant Midnight Hunter. Now, uh, well, this was article was. Uh, was done last week before Suicide Squad hit uh, hit uh, was released. Uh, the actor revealed that Count Crowley will return for more issues, some of which he wrote during downtime on the set of the Suicide Squad. Uh, see, there were a lot of new elements we didn't get to play with before with Volume One, including locations, certain kinds of monsters. Um, he says the way the monsters interact with each other as well as humans. And apparently, uh, a couple of his Suicide Squad, uh, excuse me, the Suicide Squad castmates uh, are supporting him in this because apparently um, Margot Robbie learned that he was that he wrote the book and asked to see them. Um, and James Gunn also showed his, his support for um, for the the book as well. So cool. Next. 
Next up, new digital comics platform Inker raises $3.1 million in pre-series A round. Um, the company announced the investment will fund expansion of the company's content catalog, product development, marketing, and talent acquisition. The investment round was led by Monks Hill Ventures, a venture capital firm investing in early-stage tech companies. Um... Launched in October 2020, Inker has a reading app for consumers, publisher tools to support global distribution of digital content, and in what sounds like a key differentiator, a localization service that offers quick transition to new languages using a proprietary AI localization technology. The app currently supports English with Japanese English, Korean English, and Chinese English localization available and plans to add more languages in the future. Okay. Yeah, and given some of the people that are, some of the companies already uh, in, uh, with this, uh, Coden Shah, Tokyo Pop, Fan Fan, you know, who's, I'm, I'm sure some people uh, versed in manga and these apps would probably. Right, and, and some stuff from Image as well, so it's not just uh, yeah. manga stuff. True, that is true. Yes, right, I did skip that. Um, so, yeah. Next up. Uh, Cat vs. Gamer explores how video games teach you, teach you how to care for your pet. Um, are you a cat person who likes games? We have good news for you. The manga series uh, Neko Garashi Gamer-san by writer-artist uh, Wataru Nadantami uh, Tanami, excuse me, Nadantanami, I apologize for butchering your name, is finally coming out in English, beginning spring as Cat Plus Gamer, from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, Cat Plus Gamer centers on a 29-year-old woman named Rico who lives and breathes video games. Uh, when she's not at work, she's home playing video games, uh, much to the puzzlement of her co-workers. A chance meeting with a stray cat opens the door for her to learn how to befriend and care for a cat, despite never having to, never having had a pet before. How does she do it? By using everything she knows from video games. Um... And the article goes on saying uh, how it's being trans trans um, translated and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do what you see? Do we see when this is coming up? Uh, it goes on sale March second, twenty twenty two, in comic shops and arrives in bookstores on March fifteenth of that year. Next, next up, a real life haunted house is joining the pantheon of horror houses and comics alongside the House of Mystery and the House of Secrets, namely the Winchester Mystery House. Scheduled to debut October 27th, the three-issue Winchester Mystery House comic book series will delve into the real-life facts, along with the speculation about the famous haunted house from the family that created the Winchester Rifle Company. Uh, All right. Uh, Let's see. I'm just going to scroll through this to see what the... The release date pricing. Oh, so it's yeah. So it's scheduled to debut, as I said, October twenty seventh. Pricing anywhere? Pricing? Yeah, three issues, October twenty seventh. Um, you'll 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 see how much it is when you pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Hand me my Winchester, Sam. I'm a riding to Red Rock. Hmm. Um, oh, this is published by Source Point Press. Yes. 
Uh, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles news, uh, spoiler just brought back the Turtles' strangest god. Uh, this is spoilers for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Annual 2021, which is already out. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are no strangers to the weird, and not just because they're very nature. Apart from being uh, anthropomorphic amphibians themselves, the turtles live in a world populated with mutants, aliens, interdimensional despots, and even ancient deities. Uh, currently, it is the latter of these uh, preternatural threats that is preparing to make their lives worse than ever. Ever, though, not before making sure that they are on the right track to do so. Before the Rat King's new Armageddon game can begin, he's gone to consult with his immortal siblings. And along the way, he's brought the strangest god of them all, the Toad Baron himself, back into the spotlight. Uh, if you are a fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, or diehard fan, you will probably know who and what that is. I do not. Um, so we're just going to stop right there and, and say next. Next up, Power Pack creators Louise Simonson and June Brigman are working together on a new limited series for the adolescent team at Marvel Comics. It's not officially announced by Marvel yet, but this as-yet-unnamed five-issue series will see Simonson and Brigman reteaming with inker Roy Richardson, joined by colorist Nolan Woodard. Details of the plot are largely unknown, but Newsarama was told it involves getting involved once again with the seahorse-like Chimelians and the warlike Snarks. Not the Snorks, but the Snarks. You would have to be on a certain finish to know who either one of those groups are. <laughs> Doesn't matter, Snorks or Snarks. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's not clear when this is going to be released, but Brigman has been drawing this since September of 2020. Yeah, so whether it's the today, we'll see. Um, Marvel's to celebrate Spider Man's 60th anniversary with Beyond Amazing events. Uh, Marvel has announced Beyond Amazing, a special event that will take place throughout the year of 2022 in order to celebrate the 60th anniversary of Spider-Man's debut appearance in 1962's uh, Amazing Fantasy number 15. Celebrate 60 Beyond Amazing Years of Spider-Man. Since Peter Parker's debut in uh, 1962's Amazing Fantasy 15, the world's favorite uh, wall crawler, has inspired millions of Marvel fans through his iconic adventures and stories, Marvel said in his official announcement. Next year, be a part of Spider-Man's 60th anniversary celebrations all year long with your favorite Marvel comics, um, games, shows, collectibles, fashion, and more. Uh, Spider-Man fans can follow the social media hashtag, uh, hashtag SpideyBeyondAmazing for more information. Also, um... I guess worth noting, I believe it was like Spider-Man Day recently from what I saw on Twitter because I kept seeing posts of people posting Spider-Man related materials, both Peter and um, uh, Miles at that. So I guess that was a thing. I don't know. Either way, uh, yeah, look forward to that next year, I guess. Next. Okay, so Doctor Strange will be dying this fall, though, as we've recently learned, he's been preparing for this possibility, including making one last request of Spider-Man. As part of the Sorcerer Supreme's last will and testament, he's asked Marvel's premier wall crawler to become New York City's resident magical protector. But there's one small problem. Peter Parker is going to be incapacitated this fall, although presumably it's going to be short term. And Ben Riley, the clone 
once again assumes the role of Spider-Man. Although Strange and Riley worked together briefly during the recent Damnation event, their relationship's obviously far removed from what Stephen and Peter's relationship is. But Riley's going to attempt to step up in the November special, Death of Doctor Strange Spider-Man number one, written by Jed McKay and artist uh, with art by Marcelo Ferreira. Okay. Yeah. Like New Edition um, said, you can count me out. You're going to have to count me out. <laughs> but it's Jed McKay. Yeah, but it's a Ben Riley. Oh, yeah, that part. You're right. Yes. Um, but, I mean, hey, you know, they... they. Well, that was Donny Cates also. So, I'm like, I don't know. It, you, they didn't really do that much with him in Damnation. I mean, yeah, they had him doing some stuff, but yeah, whatever. Uh, how Marvel's Dark Hold event fits into comic com- comics continuity? Uh, apparently, this is an article that's been recently updated because, uh, excuse me, um, originally announced to debut in the summer of 2020 in advance of Disney Plus's WandaVision, Steve Orlando and uh, CN Tormey's Dark Hold Alpha Number One has now been rescheduled to debut September 22nd. Uh, quote, in a story that would delight and terrify, the infamous Darkhold text has resurfaced. And the Scarlet Witch is the only hero who can prevent the dreadful havoc it's set to unleash. Excuse me, it reads Marvel's description of Darkhold Alpha number one, which is kind of funny given Wanda's uh, state of affairs at this particular current moment in the, in the comics continuity. Right. That's my my putting that in there, not this article's. Uh, that's right, the same Darkhold which appeared in WandaVision and ended up in Wanda's hands by the show end. We, you know, what comic folks know about what the Darkhold is. Um, see, in the comic books, this book with Black Magic have made it into Wanda's hands yet, but rather into the possession of Doctor Doom. In an attempt to stave off this disaster waiting to happen, the Scarlet Witch will recruit an unlikely group of heroes. Uh, Iron Man, Wasp, Janet Van Dyne, Black Bolt, Blade, and Spider-Man to stop him. But there's a hitch. Doctor Doom is working with the Dark Hole's original author, Chiton. I guess I don't, you know what? How, is that how you pronounce it? Now? I have never. I don't think I've That's how it. I've heard it. Yeah, I can't uh, say for sure they're experts on it, but yeah, I've heard it as Chiton. So or Chiton. I I've heard Chiton much more rarely. Right, like Cthulhu. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who exists in a in dimension all his own. So, but it goes on for talking about that. So, the um, Roger, Marvel's original 2020 plans for the Darkhold was for uh, Darkhold Alpha number one to be followed by five characters specific one shots with each of Wanda's recruited heroes, uh, as aforementioned stated, then wrapping up in Darkhold Omega number one. Uh, in the Marvel's rescheduling announcement, it says the Darkhold will be told, quote-unquote, across a series of one-shots, each focusing on a different hero, so pretty much the same plan. Okay. Uh, next up. Next up, the Fantastic Four turned 60 this year, and Marvel Comics will continue its celebration of the team's anniversary in November with Fantastic Four Anniversary Tribute Number 1, It's a one-shot special which pays homage to two classic Fantastic Four stories by its co-creators themselves, half of the comic book Mount Rushmore, Stanley and Jack Kirby. 
1961's FF number one features the origin of the team, and 1965's Fantastic Four annual number three depicts the wedding of Sue Storm and Reed Richards and co-starred pretty much the entire uh, Marvel Universe at the time. The new special reinterprets both stories page by page by a who's who of contemporary Marvel artists. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, 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 co- the special covers are pretty cool. I particularly like the Jim Chung reimagination of that wedding anniversary, that wedding uh, issue. Fantastic Four annual number three. That's pretty spot on. You know, he basically takes all of the he takes the Kirby art and just puts his own spin on it. Yeah, it's it's a good look. And if you're watching the video version, you have seen uh, both uh, covers that were in the article. Um, so cool. Um, wait, do we do we have a time date on that? Oh, uh, November. 6th. Yeah, Scott. I was about to say it's right in front. It's uh, November. Uh, which we'll call it. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, look for yeah. Marvel 2021 November solicits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Marvel Comics Nebula title canceled after a year plus hiatus. Um, so Marvel Comics' unfinished limited series Nebula will not be returning from hiatus and has been canceled by Marvel, according to a person familiar with the project. Uh, Nebula's creative team was writer Vida Ayala, uh, artist Claire Rowe, colorist uh, Mike Spicer, and letterer Travis Lanham. Uh, the, excuse me, VCs, I'm sorry. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the cancellation leaves Nebula at an odd moment, uh, marooned on a strange planet called uh, Manzili, and with no memory of who she is, um, after an attempted upgrade to her cybernetics went wrong. Although she lost memory of her plight, she's being hunted by a bounty hunter named uh, Devos the Destroyer, a returning 90s Fantastic Four foe. Uh, but as uh, Nebula number two ended, she had a more immediate threat, uh, a returning Ballistic Grimm from the 2019 limited, uh, Thanos Limited series, a former soldier for Thanos who was last seen trying to kill Gamora. Uh, future issues of Nebula were planned to reveal the very first meeting between Nebula and Thanos before he adopted her as his daughter, which doesn't appear that that's going to happen. So let's see. It says here, original schedule for February uh, 12, 2020, with the second issue released a month later. Schedule 5 issue Nebula series was put on hiatus um, because of COVID. Uh, see, according to News Around the Source, Nebula 3 has been completed and the fourth issue is completely drawn. A script for the fifth and final issue was turned in on schedule per our source, for their source. Um, assuming the plans on changed and Nebula 3 through 5 aren't unpublished eventually, there is a collection of unreleased covers uh, in this article for it. So, ugh, not great, but that's, that's, that sucks. Next up. Next up. Uh, let's see. As expected, heroes that previously bore the mantle of Captain Marvel will be returning for the last of the Marvel story arc kicking off in September's Captain Marvel number 32. That includes Janice Vell, son of the original Captain Marvel, Marvell, 
and he's going to return for the storyline joining Carol Danvers and, and Kamala Khan when a dark presence from earlier in writer Kelly Thompson's run mysteriously reemerges. Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right, and I'm looking to see if there's a, a firm date, or we're just going to wait for solicitations. Oh, no, it goes on sale September 1st. Right. All righty. Uh, Walking Dead creator shoots down fear world beyond comic possibilities. So there will be no comic adaptations of The Walking Dead World Beyond or Fear of the Walking Dead, according to writer and franchise co-creator Robert Kirkman. Uh, Kirkman denied having any interest in converting either TV show back into the comic book medium from whence the story from for AMC's The Walking Dead came from. Uh, he made his opinion known in the letter column of The Walking Dead Deluxe number 19 as a reply to a question about putting, quote-unquote, a new twist on the stories. Uh, when asked about his thoughts about the idea of using elements from two spinoffs to craft a new comic book, Kirkman responded, doesn't interest me, honestly. Um, so, yeah, there you go. That's that. Next. And that's it, actually. Yeah, um, that's that it. That is the last uh, news story. So, folks, um, we're uh, rounding about the end of this uh, here, Combo Chronicles, but first... I was going to say, last. did you want to touch on uh, War for Cybertron Kingdom real quick? Oh, sure, we could do that, yes. Um, hang on, let me switch this back over to... There we go. Hit it. Well, I, you know, I, I got caught up on this, and, and Rydicat wanted to make sure that I got caught up on it. I was just a little bit behind... Uh, his watching of it, I didn't realize that it had already dropped and he'd already powered through what was it, like four or five episodes something like that? Oh, I don't think it was six, I think it was like five That was six Was it six? Mm-hmm. Alright um, Ultimately it draws upon the Beast War stuff that I am not familiar with and, and for, what further complicated things from my end, big time spoiler alert, so I'm going to ring the bell real quick Spoilers coming in. We're not going to spoil it too hard, but it is part three of what I presume is a trilogy for this Transformers War for Cybertron cartoon that's on Netflix. So if you are up to date on Beast Wars or, or have an understanding of what Beast Wars is, then you know much more than I do about the whole time travel factor that is involved with... Uh, the Beast Wars characters, and that was new to me. I was like, what? They're time traveling? And what? We're talking about a multiverse? And what? And and, and part of me just was, you know, kind of struck numb by the idea of yet another multiverse. And two, uh, I just did not realize that the Maximals and the Predacons were essentially time-displaced versions of the original characters that we know and love, and to mm-hmm. see them all running around side-by-side side and dealing with time paradoxes and loops and dead universes, and oh, oh it made my what? head hurt. It made well, my head hurt, and then we got to the ending, and I was just like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. So, so, a little bit of context. Um, 
And I can safely say that even if you were familiar with the original Beast Wars show, this would still be kind of crazy, a little crazy. Uh, because, so yeah, the, and I think they might have mentioned it in here, uh, if I remember correctly, because it's been uh, some time since I watched it. Um, well, it's been at least a good week since I watched it. But, um, so yeah, the, the, the Maximals and the Predacons are basically, they come after the G1. So basically after the Great War and, and things. So they come from a time. Hmm. They come from a time after the the original series, basically, but they end up doing a similar thing, where their versions end up uh, going back through time in a you know uh, through a time loop before, uh, uh, what was it, sixty five million BCs? After so they ended up on Earth after the uh, the G one um, the G one. Uh, Autobots and, and uh, Decepticons crash, but well before they wake up. So the, the so the original series kind of takes place in between that, and they kind of play with that a little bit because they kind of come across the uh, spoiler alert. They they come across um, stuff from mm-hmm. from the G one stuff near the end of the series. Um, like I said, and the whole dead universe thing, I believe that part in particular is a thing that is germane to this series okay. not the original yeah beast war stuff because there i don't recall there being any kind of dead universe like there was some definitely some timey wimey stuff in that and some other like aliens and some other stuff going on in that series which actually i would go so far as to say you should really check out if you are a fan of transformers if you're not then it is what it is um because it was actually a pretty good series at the time um but yeah, like I said, some of that stuff is, is pretty much stuff that kind of is new to this series and not from the original series and has nothing to do with either one. So even the fact that, like I said, even the, the time time wimey nature of Beast Wars originally, they did, did some things that was totally different from that going into this thing. And if you watched, um, if you're a fan of Transformers and Beast Wars, and you've seen uh, uh, War for Cybertron Kingdom, you know what I'm talking about. Because, like I said, yeah, things did not play out, you know, nowhere near like it ended up doing here. And this is kind of a reboot anyway, uh, of kind of sorts. So they're just kind of mashing a whole bunch of stuff together because we've seen a lot of things that doesn't really add up, um, that wouldn't add up to how the original series plays out. So that's that. I enjoyed it. Um, it. There was a little bit of like, hmm, this is some weird stuff going on, and it was a good bit that happened. Um, I feel like it left itself open to revisiting. Sure. That goes without saying, but being that the whole series is called War for Cybertron Trilogy, um, and I believe they're leading. I feel like they're leading up to the power of the primes. If that's not a thing that they haven't already done, I can't remember because there's there's a whole thing going on with this old Netflix thing that started off kind of sort of as a machinima thing, but they didn't even go, use any of that stuff. Um, so there's, as far as we know, there's no real plans to. I mean, we don't know of any plans, but we feel like that they're probably going to do some more with this. Um, uh, coming out of the series. series. It was a good watch, regardless of even if you're if you're a cursory fan of trans, uh, Transformers, but you would probably want to go check out the other two uh, series prices before you go into that 
it won't make this one make any more sense. Right. They don't like self-contained with each other, but they do link. Right. They're, no, they're, they're definitely linked. Yeah, they're definitely linked, and they don't exactly help with understanding of what's happening in the season. So, uh, you know, I found myself scratching my head a couple of times. Right, but yeah. I, I found myself scratching my head at, at a couple of points. But ultimately, it's Transformers. It looks good on screen, and you know, while the voices aren't the voices that we know and love, at least they're simulacrums. So, so that's where I had kind of had a problem with it because most of the people kind of talk like this. Yeah, it's kind of staggered, and Optimus sounds like he has asthma. <laughs> And it's like, and that oh, he is of tired of all your crap. <laughs> you know, and, and even the depiction of Prime and, and Megatron, and I guess well, technically both Megatrons in this particular case, but um, um, but just the, you know, the Prime and, and Megatron in this case was like, eh, it's kind of there, but there was still some weird. But even come out of the last two uh, miniseries, it's like, uh, okay, like. Yeah, there was a lot going on in this one, but it was like it was still a good watch. But it was like some of it's like eh, they could have done some, had some better acting choices or something going, or like pick up the pace of the of the of the of the um of the of the speech or something like cause like why did again like I said why did it have Optimus sound like he's got asthma? <laughs> like it's, it was ridiculous. So, All right, yeah. That being said, though, we can um, push back that. Like I said, uh, I don't know. It's, it's not worth. I can't see it being worth um, a, a treasure edition or anything like that. No. So, but, hey, check it out. That being said, uh, let's get to the last ad read of the night. Our last ad read of the night, when we're tired, you know what we read, is keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and keep, then click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or Marvel Legends. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And as we come to another exciting episode, the end of this exciting episode of The Comic Chronicles, um, as we said, we will be back next week, same time, same bad time, same bad channel. We will definitely be talking about the Suicide Squad, uh, not necessarily at length, but, you know, broad strokes. Um, And we will probably be talking about the first episode of Marvel and Disney Plus's What If show. Yep. Uh, quite briefly in that. So please stay tuned for that. Given that, uh, I am Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at News Notes Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Uh, Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. PC underscore Dirt on Twitter. PopCultureNet on Twitter. PopCultureNetwork.com and his umbrella sites therein. And maybe possibly also uh, Bite, the Vine replacement that who knows is even that's around under comic reviews, no bowels. Tim, D-O-G-G 9-8 on Twitter. The Osiris it is ish. Um, you can also find him at 
CBCron on Twitter, which is the Comic Book Chronicles uh, um, Twitter account. You can also find them at the Click Nation on Twitter. That's V K L I Q N A T I O N, all one word. Uh, TheClickNation.com. But of course, mostly you can find him uh, spending most of his time on comic book resources. That's CBR.com, right in his face off. Go, go, go check that man's stuff out. Give him some clicks and, and actually read his stuff, for goodness sake. <laughs> You can find this here podcast on the Cold Slither Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this podcast on your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Cold Slither Podcast Network SoundCloud page. You could also find us um, uh, recording live every Thursday, 9.30-ish p.m. on uh, the YouTube channel of the Click Nation. That's youtube.com slash the Click Nation and twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles, all one word. Is that we will be back next week, folks? Um, yeah. Um, and nothing else to say. This has been the Comic Book Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. Don't tell us what's right. Don't tell us what's wrong. Too late to resist, cause Cobra is strong. And knowing is half the battle.